Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. This is Series 13, Episode Number 10. My name's John Hindoff and it's just after 4 o'clock Eastern Time here in Florida on a beautiful day. Wind uh, blowing in pretty much directly from the west, which is right behind the cars as they head down in towards the first corner here at Sebring International Raceway. Not a cloud in the sky that I can see from the IMSA Radio Broadcast Centre here on the start-finish line in this historic circuit, on this historic circuit. And as I look across towards Vendero, I am watching the movie Le Mans, and ah, isn't that amazing? I've just watched look across there to see uh, a gentleman who lost his life, the man who played Eric Stahler. Uh, Manfred is on the screen over there someone that we will be adding to our uh, Roll of Honour for next year. I've just noticed that up on the big screen. It's been coming towards the end of that. I know who wins this race. Uh, and over, as well as no up in London this week, as ever, is our executive producer, Tim Gray. Good evening to you from Sebring. Good evening, John. And on a packed programme tonight, we have what? We have all the usual features. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, all the motorsport news, uh, joined by a variety of guests. We'll be looking back at some racing that happened last weekend. We'll be looking forward to some racing that's happening this weekend. Uh, and we might even have some news in Spanish. And a game show. Uh, oh, and a game show. Okay, right, I'm... Very excited by that. Before we go into uh, the body of the programme, I'll quickly run through some of the housekeeping. Uh, quite a big delay this evening, so bear with us, dear listener. Chris Humphreys home from work looking through the TV guide to see what was on telly. And then I remembered it's Wednesday. Yes. Come on, Chris. You should really be having a, an alarm, shouldn't you? Subscribe to the calendar. Uh, and he says, uh, seems like only a few hours ago I was listening to the team trackside at Silverstone but I've had lots of sleep since then so have we um, no apologies tonight from oh come on scroll down Phil who's at Sir Phil uh, he says if you're talking IndyCar car, my how the Bordier on track DCR look like a buzzing hornet what do you guys think we'll be talking IndyCar Jeremy Shaw later on in the show James Counter is sticking up for Le Mans but saving the podcast for tomorrow when he's shopping Hope your shopping's going well, James, and thanks for supporting us through the stickers. Uh, stick it up for Lamont or stickers4.com. Don't forget, um, 
Uh, stickers for you.com, sorry. And uh, that new range of Radio Show Limited, uh, Midweek Motorsport Listeners Collective, and other stickers, including the Miggins Pies sticker, the ultimate collective sticker, because no one else will know what it is except other collective members. That's it's a bit like a secret handshake there. All available from Dan and the team. Craig Mace is joining us this evening, listening live after a superb sausage and chip meal from the local chippy. Hashtag proper British food. Well done. Rob Janer says, uh, parents evening done. Back to listen live tonight. Hello, Rob. Good to know you're in. The brilliant Barnaby Scarf. What a great name that is. Is listening to us this evening. And uh, no apologies for absence. Uh, efficient uh, listening in on his new wireless headphones doing the ironing in ignorant bliss ahead of a promising weekend of motorsport uh, also tonight uh, apologies for absence from Rob Chalmers he's uh, missing the uh, start of the show whilst he takes his turbo trainer out to the shed an actual shed so I can train and listen to RLM in place what do you have to train a turbo to do surely it just spins round and blows things I'm not it really, if it needs to be trained, it's it's not doing its job, Rob, to be honest. I was a in the taxi week once, me, which no had apologies a bad for absence, says right turn, love and no delay. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, simple week for me, no AFR, says uh, right turn, lover, no early joining or leaving, just listening into a collection of short histories on motorised competition over the sub-ether. Oh, that's very good. Chris Suku, uh, listening in live tonight. Uh, hello to Me Motorsport Alert. The Llama is online as well. Michael Denny is on the train from London to Brighton, listening live and wishing he was here at Sebring. Uh, as is Alexander Orkin, just home for a long day of carbon cop. Oh, sh- shouldn't have said that, Alexander. Come on. And uh, Chris Humphreys just adding, I've just about warmed up, dried out, and well rested since Silverstone. There we go. That's the early ones. It's at Specutainment, of course. Uh, keep them coming in tonight and um, can we just lose the music before we go to uh, the news please uh, if you would Uh, because we start tonight I'm afraid with some more sad news Uh, Thursday evening we heard the the very shocking and tragic news that former Radio Le Mans Pitlim presenter uh, Henry Hope Frost had lost his life uh, whilst riding a motorcycle home from Goodwood, and it was—it's been a massive shock to everybody, the motorsport community, uh, and the people whose life Henry touched have rallied round amazingly on the Just Giving page to make sure Charlotte and the boys are well taken care of. Uh, I worked with Henry back in the late 90s when I worked at Autosport down at uh, Teddington just outside of London. I'd known him before that, of course, and his catchphrase of everything being fever uh, is being used as a hashtag and a sticker at the moment, and it'll be all over the members' meeting this weekend at Goodwood, where it might be snowing, and Henry would have been laughing his head off uh, about that. We, uh, There's not going to be another one like HHF. Um, we didn't say always say eye to eye, but you could never fault his enthusiasm for everything that he did he became ubiquitous particularly in historic motoring circles and motorsport circles he took over from me on the autosport stage and he's made that his own uh, at the racing car show uh, over the last few years and it's uh, i used to see him infrequently but we always would have a bit of a laugh about the old days 
and he was very uh, he was kind enough to uh, help me out with uh, some bits and pieces at the Monaco Historics a, a couple of years ago when Bruce and I were down there working for television. Um, everyone who knew him, everyone who met him, and everyone who knew his work uh, will have uh, some kind of uh, some kind of idea, I think, of of what sort of person he will he was. And he will be a massive miss in the paddock this weekend and going forward. We pass on our condolences to Charlotte, the boys, and the rest uh, of his extended motorsport family and friends. We uh, will remember Henry Hopefrost for a very, very long time indeed. And I know there's going to be a lot of noise, a minute of fever uh, at the weekend before the Formula 5000 cars go out. And that is entirely and utterly appropriate. H.H. F. Henry Hope Frost, who we lost on Thursday evening. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Tim Greer, our sport continues, and the news continues, uh, despite our uh, heavy hearts. Uh, what have you got for the top of the show tonight? What's the leading story? Uh, the leading story is probably not the most important story, but uh, we're having to not necessarily do stories in order of importance, uh, but based on uh, the times during the show when our guests are available. Uh, so we're going to start with Formula One news. Hooray! And that means introducing our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon. Good evening, Nick. <laughs> Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. Good evening, everybody. Uh, now, Nick and I have quite a long evening ahead of us because not only are we doing right. this show, uh, but also uh, at 10 o'clock tonight, it's the uh, RSL Formula One preview show where I'll be joined not only by Nick, but also by Sam Collins from Race Car Engineering. I know, no Felipe Massa to moan about either, which is really argue about, which is really annoying. Uh, I'm sure Sam will find someone... Uh, to argue about with in place of uh, Felipe Massa or maybe you will maybe, maybe, maybe you'll find a new, a new, a new favourite maybe Sergei okay. Sorokin could be that person ok last week on the show we reported that the FIA had uh, poached someone from Ferrari uh, to uh, work for them Yes, no, Ferrari poached from the FIA, you mean? Or no, that, last week, Ferrari, uh, the FIA poached someone from Ferrari. This week, Ferrari oh, poached back. someone uh, from the FIA. And who is that someone this week, Nick? A safety delegate and uh, deputy race director, That's Laurent Mekis. Yes, Laurent Mekis, uh, who is French. Well, I hope so. Otherwise, that outrageous accent I did was, it was pointless. Well, he could have been Luxembourgeois or Belgian. On a, on a gas, gear, yeah, fair enough. Uh, he'll report to Matteo Binotto. Yes. Ferrari. Uh, I thought they were going to stop this. He isn't French. He's not. He's Italian. I thought they were going to stop people leaving the FIA and, um, and joining teams at very, very long wait periods. Yes, this uh, that policy, of course, was uh, started after the former um, McLaren and Ferrari aerodynamicist Martin Bukowski uh, went to become the FIA's head of technical uh, matters, uh, and then subsequently left the FIA and went back to Renault. 
went to it. I didn't go back to them. But went more importantly, yeah. took a large amount of cash and everybody's secrets in his brain. Yeah, very good. Uh, when is uh, McKeese moving? Uh, three months, apparently. Yes, the end of June. He won't be involved in Formula One at all this season, but he will continue to uh, act as safety director across other FIA World Championships until the end of June. Right. Okay. Of course, he'll he'll, he'll forget everything he ever learned about F1, all the things he's been told. Um, And when he goes to Ferrari, he'll just turn up and go, but I know nothing. Uh, What did Pirelli announce today? Really? Um, The tyre allocation for Austin. Austin? That would be impressive for Melbourne Park. For Melbourne. Albert Park. Albert Park in Melbourne, yeah. And uh, what, what have people gone for? Mostly for purple ones. The ultra are, softs, yeah, not the hyper soft because that's unavailable. Mostly on the 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 ultra soft because they have three choices: ultra soft, super soft, or soft. And um, as everyone's diving for the uh, the softest comp- uh, the softest compounds, there's a few people who've um, taken a few sets of uh, soft. But on the whole, they've bashed up the two softest ones as much as possible. So I expect they, the the thing to remember is that um, the key aim. Uh, of this season's tyre allocations is to engender uh, two-stop races rather than the one-stop races of the vast majority of uh, events last year. So don't forget that if you are on a super soft, the super soft this year is actually very nearly the ultra soft from last year. They've kind of moved. Even the same name is softer. It's one one level more grippy, and they've got one even more below that. So effectively, if you're on hyper soft, you're effectively on um, on warm chewing gum. I think we need a Damon Explains uh, for these tyre compounds uh, in time for the start of the season. Uh, Who does... Three uh, hours, you can do it in three hours. That would be tremendously impressive (laughs) if you could. Thank you, I do speak very fast. (laughs) Who does uh, Lewis Hamilton think will be fastest in Melbourne? Uh, He thinks he'll be fastest. No, he doesn't. He thinks Red Bull No, 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 no. He thinks he'll be fastest, but he's paying lip service to somebody else. Right. Who's he said he thinks will be fastest? He's very worried about Red Bull because they're going to bring this set of upgrades that's going to make a car that's 60 horsepower down minimum and has no qualifying uh, modes faster than his car that's going really, really well and was much faster than last year's car. Who says Red Bull won't be able to get anywhere near to Mercedes or Ferrari? Christian Horner. Christian Horner is the correct answer. Uh... Who's right? We'll probably talk about this in much more detail uh, later on, won't we? Christian Horner's right for once. <laughs> no, no he'll get close to Ferrari. He'll get close to Ferrari. Uh, also, don't forget Christian Horner's the man who said that. Sorry, uh, Tim, I, I forgot no, about the delay there. Um, Christian Horner's the one that said that. Uh, Mercedes and Ferrari are effectively the same team. Uh, and by the way, I, I don't know where I got this from. When I was talking about the actor uh, that played Eric Stahler, it was Siegfried Rausch. I don't know where I got Manfred from. I was trying to do too many things at once. Siegfried Rausch is the actor that played uh, Eric Stahler, who, as Declan said, uh, when he heard that he had died earlier uh, this week, uh, it he just looked right in that part. It always was completely believable. But, of course, he wasn't actually a racing driver. And he was the one who found it hardest to do 
the driving and had to be doubled, whereas a lot of the other characters were actually doing the driving, including um, Steve McQueen himself. Sorry, carry on, Tim. Uh, what is uh, Roman Grosjean uh, going to do this year? Moan less. Moan more. Um, I don't know. Is he, going to, is he going to join some sort of club of happy people? He is indeed, yes. Really? Yes. He's replaced uh, Jensen Button <laughs> as a director of the Grand Prix Drivers Association. Oh, that, well, that certainly isn't a club of happy people. That's a club of people who are... Who are constantly moaning at each other, and then just thought they'd better club together in case something silly happens. But uh, okay, no, good old, uh, hang on. Does that mean that Denson was a, was in it last year? That's correct. When he yes. wasn't actually driving. Yes. No, oh, he was just he was still a reserve driver, wasn't he? He it, did one race. The uh, the uh, GPDA is still run by uh, Alex Verts, who hasn't uh, raced in Formula One for how many years? But don't we? Oh, 2011. Eight, he's testing. He's, no, he's, he's, he's testing a sports testing car again, yes. Having retired. No, he's come back. He's come back. It's very popular these days. Yes, as we saw at the weekend with Johnny Molam, who, uh, whose retirement yeah, was Tony. announced exclusively on this show over a year ago. Never, never mentioned he's retired. <laughs> he uh, doesn't like that. Because he has. Johnny said that he was stopping doing. Uh, international races and he's just going to be doing a bit more for fun now and also with Red River Sport and looking after his uh, doing his mentoring some of which he does from inside the car which I think is pretty sensible <laughs> and Alex Verts is doing the testing for Toyota because no one else is available because they're yeah. all doing other things Toyota having so signed racing drivers Toyota who are actually racing drivers are actually Correct, yes, they are actually racing, and there's so many of them are doing double duty that they can't get time off to go testing. I think that's frankly just greedy, where there's people out there that have got race licences who haven't got to drive. Mind having said that, I do not want to drive a Toyota TSO 50 before anybody offers me, at least really? I don't want to get into it and do racing in it, because that would... It would well. I, I would give it a go in a test, but not in a race. Yeah. I don't think I'd oh, be very yes. good. But I definitely don't want to race it because then I would be platinum. And, and uh, I didn't no, want to be platinum. You're over I want 50. to see bronze. Thank you very much. I thought you were over fifty. You couldn't get any, any above silver. I thought it was fifty-five. He's over that as well. Oh. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Forty-five. I am this year, Nick. Let's be, let's be honest about this. I'm this same, is a very hypothetical. This is a very hypothetical problem we're discussing. Not really. You're, I, I've ne- I, I have no idea. Because of, the, because of the misinformation you and Joe spread, I've no idea really which one of you is older or even how old either you are at the Queen. You'd be, you'd be kind of ageless, the pair of you. Well, we know that uh, Joe Bradley retired two years ago, so he must be 67 this year. Wasn't from a real job, though. Excellent. Uh, and John claimed that he was a year below Joe, so that makes John 66. That's That's... Indisputable maths, <laughs> just not actually the fact. No, uh, Joe was no, not at all. Daniel Kriat not racing in Formula nope. One this year nope. uh, because his seat. You're not in my dog. <laughs> his seat at uh, Toro Rosso was uh, taken by Brendan Hartley. What does yes. Brendan Hartley think uh, Daniel Kriat should be doing instead? Racing in WEC. Yes. Has he mentioned a specific team that, or class that he should be in? Uh, LMP1 for anybody. Pretty much. I, 
I haven't seen this item. I, I, I think it's kind of like, you know, I'm really, really sorry I've stolen your girlfriend. But why do you go on Tinder? <laughs> Isn't it really? <laughs> and get a new girlfriend. Yes. <laughs> John, anything to add? Moving on. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Nothing. Uh, GP3 has been testing today in Jerez. Wow. This is the last year of GP3. Is it? Because First I've heard of it. Well, no, no, because the officially sanctioned um, F3 is going to support F1. On the cal- on its on its um F one were appointed the official promoter of, of new F three, one make series F three. Um and that is and they are going to be on the uh F one program. So I can't see F three and GP three being on the uh, F one program, so I assume it means GP three is going to be shoveled to one side and replaced by F three. It's possible, certainly. Or maybe GP three can move and uh, be something else. <laughs> I think or maybe it is just the same championship and we'll run the same cars. What you're talking about, that sounds very much <laughs> unlikely. Uh, next, uh, we are going to come back to Nick Damon a little bit later on uh, because I believe, John, you have Jeremy Shaw with you. Uh, yes, I do. Mr. Shaw has just finished uh, with Sheer Adam uh, on the IMSA Porsche GT3 Cup Challenge USA by Yokohama. And if I actually give him a headset where he can move the wire, he's got half a chance of uh, actually hearing uh, what we want to do. Now, Jeremy, uh, first of all, welcome to Midweek Motorsport. Jeremy, how are you? Well, I'm very well indeed and uh, honoured to, uh, to be part of your show, John. Thank well, you very much indeed. Ho- hopefully that this is going to be a bit more of a uh, regular... Um, a regular feature. Um, you were at St. Pete at the weekend? I was indeed at St. Pete at the weekend. Yeah, crazy busy weekend, but uh, but lots of fun. Uh, I, I have to say I miss the IMSA Championship going to St. Pete. I, I know it's a street circuit, and quite often street circuits are difficult, but it was a street circuit very close to downtown. Uh, it had the run down the airport runway, has the run down the airport runway, and then down the waterfront i actually really enjoyed the racing there and it tended to race actually pretty well for a street circuit for the sports cars uh, and indeed for for the indy cars and we had a fantastic event at the weekend there with the first outing for this uh, new aero kit for the the indy car the new common aero kit for the indy car Brilliant weekend all the way around. I mean, a big crowd, nice weather. Jolly lucky with the weather actually, because they were talking about having big storms yes. coming in on the on the Sunday, which didn't 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 happen at all. Thankfully, they had some a little bit of rain or a little bit of drizzle or whatever it was. It was pretty chilly on Saturday, but conditions on Sunday were absolutely glorious. And it was a great event. It's a wonderful event. I mean, it's you, you, there's so much atmosphere there. I've been going to that racetrack for since since the eighties, since I first came over here. There was slightly different configuration back in those days, but but even then, it was a lot of fun. And the track now is even better than it was back then. But using that airport runway uh, really adds another element to it. It's a, it's a tremendous value for fans as well. Only nine cars in the, in the supporting series in delights. But the race that we got was bonkers. Actually, nine cars of which two of aren't, I think, doing the, the full season. But the race was crazy. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the field was thin for, for the, the primary support series, you know, the top level of the, of the Mazda Road to Indy. Yes, that's the Indy Lights Championship presented by, by Cooper Tars. Yeah, the field was thin. Uh, and yeah, there were two guys who, who did, did late deals there, both Shelby Blackstock and Neil Alberico. But you know, they're, certainly, they're, they're certainly hoping to be able to put together longer-term programs. And you know, the, the, one of the problems that Indy Lights has faced this season is, is, is it's kind of a victim of its own success because not only the driver's <laughs> moving up, yes. but so are the teams. Yeah. Uh, and Carlin, uh, they, they ran four cars, you'll remember, last season. Well, you know, they've stepped up to the uh, Verizon IndyCar Series this season, running two cars for Charlie Kimball and, uh, and Max Chilton. And they were so busy putting everything together for that new IndyCar program that they just didn't have time or resources or whatever else mm. to focus on the, uh, on the Indy Lights side of things. So they've kind of let that lapse, although actually one of their cars was very briefly in Sunday's race. We can go into that one if you like. That's yeah, I will in a minute. It's a yes. long story. That yes. Uh, but, uh, but certainly Carl in, intends to be back in Indy Lights uh, for the future. And I know there's another couple of teams that are looking at it as well. It will take a little while for that victim of its own success for people to realise that they have got the opportunity to move up in the big show mm. through Indy Lights and, and maybe that'll take a while to filter through. You mentioned Carl in there not being there but they did help out Aaron Tellitz who had a really unlucky weekend when it came down to it. I mean what did he do? Did he kick a black cat into a mirror whilst he was walking under a ladder on the way at the track? I think so. It must have been something like that because it was just ridiculous. I mean, he was the guy who, who set the pace in pre-season testing at, uh, at Homestead Miami Speedway a couple of weeks ago. He was very much the, the guy to beat there. He didn't run towards the end of the day in that final test session. And uh, as a, a bit of a grandstand, his teammate, Santi Arutio, went out in the, in the final session. And in that final session, the, the drivers were allowed to use the, the, the push-to-pass uh, system on that car for three different times during that session. Well, Santa used it all on one lap, and so he, he eclipsed Aaron's time to go to the top uh, of the charts. Uh, but uh, Aaron, yeah, it was ridiculously unlucky. I mean, he, he was on pole for the first race, uh, was right up at the front in contention for the pole for the second session, and unfortunately just clipped one of the walls and did a lot of damage to that Bellardi car, and unable to repair it for the first race. They then got a did a deal with with uh, Trevor Cullen. There was, a, there was another team, which probably remain, name, remain, remain nameless, that had a, a spare car at St. Pete. They weren't willing to uh, rent it to the Bellardi team. Um, so uh, so they got on to Trevor Carlin, whose shop is based down in South Florida, did a deal there, got the car up overnight, uh, prepped it literally all night, got Aaron out on the grid. He was able to start it, I think probably unwisely, quite frankly, from the position which he qualified, even though it was a different car. That's, that's, that's the way the rules are in that series. Um, I think he'd probably be better off starting Start at, the at the back, back. ninth, yeah. for goodness sake. Uh, but unfortunately, he and uh, and Victor Franzoni, who was last year's Pro Mazda Championship, Championship winner, stepping up into Indy Lights for the first time, uh, they got together in turn two, and uh, unfortunately, Aaron Tillett's backed that car into the wall as well. A lot of damage to to, uh, to his second car of the weekend. Just incredibly unfortunate. And he, I mean, it's fair to say, Aaron was Aaron Tellitz was the one one of, if not the preseason favourite. Very much not? so. You know, having led that test at Homestead, uh, having won the final race of last season at Watkins Glen, uh, won the first race also last season. At St. Peter, so he bookended mm. his, his rookie season in the lights with wins and uh, was absolutely on the crest of a wave in confidence and everything else coming into this season. You know, on the pole for the first race, but it all went sour for him. Uh, another pre-season favourite, Colton Herter, famous name in IndyCar, of course. Um, 
he didn't get to the end and see the chequered flag in race two either. No, he made a mistake. Uh, simple as that. He just uh, clipped one of the walls. They just carried a bit too much speed into turn eight. Found the wall. He was running in second place at the time. He'd just been overtaken by uh, by Pado Award. But those two had, had uh, I mean, at the, at the very beginning of the race, Colton pulled a brilliant move around, around the outside, the outside. Yeah. of uh, Award of to take the lead. And then at the restart... Uh, Award did it back again to him. It was brilliant racing between those two. And we've seen how good Pato Award is in mm. sports car racing. Yeah. Um, but he's clearly, you know, if it's got wheels, a pedal box, and a wheel on each corner, he, he's he's not as the Australians would say, he's not a bad little steer, is he's he? Pato Award. You know, he's he's a real talented young man. He's, it's hard to believe he's only 18 years of age because he's Shocking. been racing over here now. He did two years of Pro Master, finished second in the championship to Aaron Tielitz a couple of seasons ago. Stepped up up last year briefly into into Indy Lights and right away last year in St. Peter he was on the podium in Indy Lights yeah. only did that weekend of one more and then the, kind of the money ran out for the for the Indy Lights thing so he concentrated on his sports cars last season but grew up a lot as a result of that and you came away with the championship didn't he with the performance tech team in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship uh, as you say a, a small field hopefully more cars will keep an, hour, an eye on that as we move through the season but at the same time that you know the, the other two levels of the Mazda Road to India oh. you know, Pro Mazda had that brand new car for this season yes. a new Tadus uh, uh, beautiful car they had some engine problems le- leading into, into that first round of the championship no doubt about that but there were no problems last weekend. it was a new weekend. engine, was it? Yeah, it's a new oh, engine. It is a new engine. They used yeah. to run the rotary engine in the older That's cars. Right. Yeah. But they got a, a you know, four-cylinder engine. It's, it's, it's the, the regular MZ, Mazda MZR, if yeah, you like. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, they had some problems coming into the season. But, thankfully, those seemed to be eradicated last weekend. And, you know, there's various fixes in the... Uh, in, the, in there for the long term, but there's two tremendous races, 16 cars in the field, all brand new cars. I'll tell you what, that's going to be a championship to watch this season. And then the first level on the Mazda Road to Indy, just talk about that very briefly, mm. the USF 2000, 2000, which is the same chassis, the same Tatis chassis as now is being used in uh, in Pro Mazda, but with smaller Cooper tyres, smaller wing package, yeah, you know, less sophisticated. It's brilliant because you know, for teams that want to move up, they can use the same chassis, or even your know, drivers or you know, families that want to buy a car, they can use it all, you know, for two steps of the ladder. Funny enough, they did that in Formula Renault in the UK mm-hmm. for a, a, a while, where the BARC they Championship did. used exactly the same car, but effectively with just a different chip on it. Yes. So you had the opportunity to get in the car, and then if you wanted to move up, you swapped over the electronics, yeah. used that kind of magic, yeah. and, and on you went. At late entry... I mean, tw- 25 cars there were yeah, in that yeah, field, yeah. And, and some fantastic racing, and some real talent in there as well. Uh, late entry in that championship, the USF 2000, for reigning British F4 champion yeah. Jamie Caroline. How did he get on? Well, good and bad. Uh, he, he was fast. I mean, he'd, he'd never driven the car before. Uh, never even sat in so the no car chance before to he test got there. No test and then gets thrown onto a street circuit. Yeah, and gets thrown on, throws himself onto a street circuit. Unfortunately, he threw himself at the street circuit. Ah. He had a very good first practice. There was only one practice session prior to qualifying, but then after what six or seven laps of qualifying, whose name was at the top? Jamie Caroline. Really? That's the good news. The bad news is that he hit the wall. But it took the other guys until the end of the session to beat him. I think he started sixth or seventh for the first race. Worked his way up into second place behind Carl. Kirkwood and was uh, you know setting sail for him uh, and then clipped the wall again. Talk about the, 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 the big show in a second but just before we do that are we getting to the stage again now Jeremy with this very well-defined 
And all right, put, putting the lights to one side for a minute, and we've said for a number of reasons why there weren't perhaps as many cars as, as there might have been there. But with USF 2000, with Pro Mazda, with the the Mazda Road to Indy as it as it progresses, there's a very well defined career progression to IndyCar now in the US. Are we starting to see more interest from Europe? It, it was a thing for about you know 10, 15 years ago. Quite a lot of people, and longer than that, people came over because of the fact that it was something they could wrap their heads around rather than having to make all kinds of choices where it's very diverse in Europe. And, we, you know, some years ago, we did a, a programme trying to work out what the pyramid was and which series were on the same level and what was a step up and what was a step back. And it's nigh on impossible to do that in Europe. In in that Mazda Road to Indy, it's very well defined. Yeah, it absolutely is. And you just, you just look at how successful it's been over the last few years and, you know... B- b- People, people like Jack Harvey. For, I mean, your listeners here on, on Midweek Motorsport know about the Mazda Road to They know how successful yeah. it is. Yeah, people like, uh, for, let's say, Jack Harvey, who's now got a, finally got an opportunity to drive an Indy car. That's going to be interesting to watch this mm. season. But, but you, I'm sure you, you'll try and get people like Jamie Caroline or, or Harrison Scott, yep. who won the last year's uh, Euro Formula Open Championship, dominated it in, in Europe, a, a Formula Three equivalent. Uh, series. He made his debut last weekend. Uh, you have a chat with the, he and Jamie Caroline. I chatted with them both last weekend. I mean, their eyes were open. I bet they were. And, you know, there's, there's three and a half million dollars of Mazda scholarships to be won or, or, or prizes and awards from those three series that lead you all the way. Yeah. Keith Donnegan is the latest runner from Europe to get onto that ladder. He won last year's uh, Mazda Road to Indy scholarship shootout and he did that. He won an opportunity to go to the shootout by finishing actually second at the Formula Ford Festival because the winner, uh, Jerry Foster, wasn't was eligible. eligible. He was over Two the age limit. Yeah. But Keith got an opportunity to come over to be part of that shootout. There were uh, 20 drivers from around, you know, from feeder series around the world. He won that scholarship, $200,000, thank you very much indeed, yeah. to move into the USF 2000. And what's a, a decent budget for USF 2000? Well, you can do it for 200. Oh, you, can you? You, you can. It's a, it's a bit of a stretch. Yeah. But basically, a budget is probably 250, 275. But, you know, so you've got to find another 50 or 70. And, and you'll find teams, uh, for, for scholarship winners in particular, who've, who've earned that, you know, who know, you know they're going to be quick sooner or later. And they've got a bit of PR hype behind them as Very well. Very much so. You can cut yourself a deal. And, and, and that's another thing about the Maserodo Indy because they do train the drivers off the track as well yes. as on it. You know, they had tours of, of race control last weekend, oh, for example, great. which is an eye-opener for all of them to see how the whole system works. And uh, I'd be interested to see how the new initiative from the FIA in Europe, they've reconstituted an FIA um, Formula 3 championship again mm. to, to run with the new Formula 3 um, national series and to sort of be a, a step alongside or above that and that'll be, an, I, I still have no clue. Uh, talking about trips to race control though um, some of the drivers in the IndyCar Championship might well have been getting a trip to race control but not to have a look around and have a bit of a chat with as well first of all, got to mention Robert Wiggins, yes he's a rookie in IndyCar it's, I think, best better part of a decade since he's driven a single seater in in anger, he's been playing his trade in DTM, of course. Clearly, he's not forgotten how to drive a single seater. He and that Indy car, that new Indy car, lower downforce, uh, which clearly is a bit of a handful to drive. There were some very experienced drivers who had issues, but Wickens, it's like, uh, let's just plug him in. I, I think probably he just had to drive fast because. Uh, 
uh, Piers was was his engineer, and he probably just wanted him to stop talking to him in that northeastern accent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he, he was. Uh, Piers Phillips, was a real that is at Sam Schmidt. Yeah, yeah. Was, uh, and Lena Gale, of course, was was engineering the other car, wasn't she? For for Hinchel, she she was team. engineering the car, but it was um, it was Taylor who was calling the strategy. So yeah. Piers and Taylor, the the team manager and the general manager, or the general manager and the team manager, were calling the strategy. Lena was indeed engineering Hinch's car. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, you know, it's a strong team, and you know, and Wickens, he, he got an opportunity to drive an IndyCar last year. It was Road America, I think, wasn't it? Where mm. uh, Michael Alishin's he didn't get his paperwork organised, so he couldn't be there for the first session. So Robert got into the car. So at least he'd driven, uh, uh, you know, during not the IndyCar weekend. No, no. No. And, and it just—it was plug and play. It was brilliant. It absolutely super impressive. Robbed of the win? Yeah, you know, honestly, I was kind of busy. I wasn't paying as close attention as, as I as I would like to have done. So I was I had other th- other commitments last weekend. So, um, but the, the clip that I saw, yeah, I think he was robbed. I think, but then again, he 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 kind of he left the door open. Certainly, going down into turn one. He was very fair. He was very fair. Probably Perhaps too, too fair. fair. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, he he he. he and someone like Rossi is going to take it. And I, 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 the, the fact there was no repercussions on that, I struggle with that, I must admit. I mean, it, was a, it was a... Well, Rossi ended up on the podium after a penalty yeah. for and if he, and for if the he, other Smith-Peterson car so uh, for um, a, yellow, alleged le- a yellow flag infringement, which has left that team bewildered. And it's, um, al- it's almost debatable as whether Rossi would actually... Would he, would he have made the corner oh, without uh, well. Wickens' car being there? I don't know, you know. Hard to say, but Baudet, know, who won the race, Baudet, who won the race, and, and and that is a fairy tale story. Yeah. He lives in St. Pete's. He was in tears at the end. His dad was there as ever. I mean, he said that Baudet said, "I would never have made that move because it was almost inevitable it would end up in a crash." And and I, I saw James Ross tweeting earlier on, and I respect James a lot for what he says. He's he's very very sensible, and he said, you know. Witten's left room at, at more than a car's width at the apex, yeah. but Rossi wasn't in control right. of that car. Right. And I mean, and if you look at that corner, turn one caused a lot of problems. The wind was blown down behind the cars. The cars have left downpours. I don't know what else was going on, but I mean, Scott Dixon had a couple of little moments there. He had a really awful weekend. Still managed, I think, sixth position. He was certainly top ten, I think, wasn't yeah, he? he? Yeah, he was yeah. sixth, it's sixth remarkable. at the end. But you know, we don't expect. Um, Dixie to make those mistakes that end up in in contact. Incredible. I mean, I, honestly, I, I was shocked when I saw. I did happen to see that incident where he took out Sato, uh, and uh, I forget who he was. He was passing. Might have been Hinchcliffe. I can't yeah, remember. I he was, was passing Hinch, somebody, yeah. uh, and Sato was several car lengths in front of of Hinch or whoever that car was when he went into the corner, and Dixie still nailed him. And I th- I looked at that. I thought, what? Scott Dixon. He just doesn't make that sort no. of mistake. Is that, I, I can't remember was that, ever I mean, seeing him do it, anything it, like that. It could have been just a loss of concentration. Is are those cars just that difficult to drive? They are, and very much on the on the edge under braking there because of the less downforce. The braking areas are a little bit longer than before, not much, but they are a little bit longer than before, uh, and they are very <laughs> not skittish that long braking. though. No, exactly, <laughs> not, not that fifty long. feet. No, no, it does no. show how strong the cars are that Dixie was able to continue yes. and drive back. Astonishing, wasn't it? Because that was a hard hit. Um, uh, Graham Rahal has, has described it as driving on ice. These the levels of downforce have been peeled off. I tell you, from a spectator point of view, um, Formula One and everybody else take note: cars that can drive close together. I mean, all right, 
street circuits, so you're not getting up to. So I think it's get up to 160 miles an hour. So you're not oh, you're not yeah. messing about. I think it's but, 170 plus there, get, uh, heading down into turn one on the on the runway. Yes, yeah. true enough. So you can good. get in the draft yeah. and not lose too much in terms because the wings aren't doing as much of the downforce. It was obvious to me that some teams had a better handle on the setup of the carts than others because the differences around the circuit of who had mechanical grip and who didn't and who could keep the tyres under the car. Yeah. The difference between the black side walls and the reds, I've never seen it as much as it is now. And it actually, the dimension of, of tactics that that was meant to bring in and sort of did and sort of didn't at most circuits, really saw it there at St. Pete's. Yeah, well, you, I mean, I would like to see that that same, the reds and the blacks brought in on the ovals because... Uh, if you if you go back to the you, you look at the short ovals, you know for years now we've been saying well the racing's dreadful on the short ovals because there's no passing you can't get close behind, uh, and you know and it's it's all follow my leader stuff. Well, go back to when I first came over to the states and you know Phoenix was always a great race. It was always a thrilling race around the, the one mile oval at Phoenix. Okay, the track configuration is slightly different now, but that's not relevant. What is relevant? is that the tyres back in those days uh, were nothing like as good Correct. as they are now. So they would go off hugely. And because people, as now, are running on different strategies of when they make their pit stops, there was always cars that were out there on, on much fresher tyres than the other guys. So you know, the, there was a big lap time discrepancy yes. between them. Also, there was a lot of, let's face it, make-weight drivers at the back of the field, which we don't Door have tough. anymore. No. You know, those mobile chicanes are gone. Uh, and the fact now that all the, t the tyres are so good means that uh, you know, the cars are very, very evenly matched, the drivers are very, very evenly matched. So therefore, by definition, it's hard to overtake. I would like to see them uh, think about re introducing the red tyres and the black tyres onto the ovals. I think that would be, uh, I think that would be very interesting. Because they don't do that, do they? Uh, do they? I think... Maybe they do, but I, I, do you I'm know what? There, aren't I? I'm sorry about that. No, no. I, I, <laughs> um, what, one thing I would say, I, I think um, a, a couple of things. I want to talk about Indy 500, which comes up quite early in the season, obviously, in a moment. But I think it's actually quite brave from the IndyCar organisation because in a, an era where everything has to be better than last year. We've got to keep breaking records. Lap records have got to go. Um, everybody's scored more points because we've got more races or we've added more points on or there's more people winning, more races, and everything's bigger and better and fantastic. It's that urge to uh, of, of you know improve, improve, improve. Let's have a, a, a Twitter headline. We probably won't see a lot of lap records go this year because the downforce on the cars aren't there. And I think that's quite brave from IndyCar in one respect. They've sort of said... We're going to go a different way. We're going to go a way of making the drivers work harder, of making it more entertaining, and actually making the racing more, oh, like racing. And I, I think that's refreshing. I completely agree with you. I completely agree. I, to be honest, I haven't paid close enough attention to the to the testing times to know what, what sort of... Well, they, they don't do an awful lot of testing, these days, no, do no. they, before the first race. Uh, but it's certainly going to be interesting. And, you know, I, I, I absolutely applaud that. I completely, completely agree with you. And I absolutely applaud what IndyCar is doing there because they are just looking to improve the, the, the spectacle, improve the competition. And that's what racing race fans want to go watch. And I think that is going to pay off in the long run. Adding to the spectacle, um, Indianapolis, looking forward um, to Indianapolis, bump day will have meaning this year because it looks like certainly more than the 33 cars that will make the grid, maybe as many as 36, 37 cars uh, at the month of May. So we're going to get a bit of, we're going to get a bit of excitement on bump day. I hope so, assuming the engine manufacturers step up to the plate. 
uh, yes, uh, the, you know, in the past they've been very reluctant to add more cars mm. and more work and blah, 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 blah. And, and that's been uh, pretty counterproductive. Indy's still working hard to get a third engine manufacturer, aren't they? Yes, uh, and Indy that job. would be yeah. huge. That would be great because, uh, yeah, but, you know, the engines nowadays are incredibly reliable compared to what they used to be yes. like and, and a lot less expensive to run than they used to be. And, and uh, you know, because of that reliability factor, you know, it, it gives an opportunity, I think, for more teams to be in there. So, but, like I say, the engine manufacturers have been reluctant to, to supply those extra engines. I hope they do. Uh, I hope they can uh, be persuaded to, because I think these first few races, your know, next next couple of races are going to be really exciting. And I think, you know, who knows? Everybody's working out some, with the new there car. There you go. Yeah, they are. And th there could be some more people coming out of the woodwork before the month of May. Mm. You know, the, the, the cars are out there. Talking of Carlin, by the way, um, I was talking to Trevor briefly over the weekend, and th they kind of struggled to get to the grid. They, 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 mm. they ordered brand, two brand new cars when they made a decision to go into the Rising Indy Car Series for this season last September. Uh, they also, thankfully, uh, got two cars privately, two used cars from elsewhere, which is just as well because the second of the cars that was delivered in September and promised, I think, around about the new year, arrived last week really yes so um so they didn't have uh, you know they that, that it was a real battle for them to be on the grid and you know, it's things like that that need to that need to change ultimately the super teams will come through all yeah. all the big teams will come through but the opportunity for the smaller teams is is most uh, outstanding at yeah. this early part of the season while because everybody's thrown away all their setup sheets at the moment and they're just going uh, hang on stick a finger in the air let's go and there were some teams out there all right, again, I'll make the point, St. Pete's not necessarily the litmus test for every one of the, the tracks we're going to this year. Yeah. But there were teams out there, the cars looked absolutely horrible to drive, <laughs> really horrible to drive. A real opportunity yeah. for some of the, the lesser light teams to, to make their mark and get some good championship points and get some good airtime. Yeah, brilliant, wasn't it? I mean, you know, you know Schmidt-Peterson should have won the race, would have, could have, should have won the race. Uh, Dale Coyne Racing did win the race. Team Rahal finished second, having started last for Graham Rahal. I still don't know how they did that because I yeah. haven't paid attention to, I haven't seen the race on TV. I don't know how he got up to second place. I did speak to briefly to Bobby yesterday. I said, what happened there, Bobby? He said, well, basically, they got on the same strategy as Sebastian Bourdais. Uh, and we know how good uh, Dale Coyne is on strategies and, and, and Bobby's mm. team as well. So, uh, you know, but, and, you know, Rails team, certainly you wouldn't think of them as a big team nowadays because they haven't really achieved a whole heck of a lot lately. So great to see them up front as well. Uh, and, you know, and, and several others as well. You know, Penske, where was Team Penske last weekend? Or even Chip Ganassi Shh, Racing, quite frankly. Don't mention yeah. that. Don't cool. mention it. it. Is. It's, it, it but but that's, isn't it but that's good. It's that's why we watch sport. sport. Exactly. Because we don't want it to be predictable. We absolutely don't want it to be predictable. Um, next race is? Uh, good question. Phoenix on the oval. <laughs> Thank you very much. Hang on. Where is it, Chip? <laughs> Phoenix. 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 <laughs> yes, exactly. And then, and then Barber Motorsports Sports Park. Isn't it? And, then, and then Long Beach. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Long Beach before Barber. Long Beach before Barber this yes. year. You're right. Right. I'm really looking forward to seeing them at Long Beach. I am really yeah. looking forward to seeing no, them at Long Beach, good. and I, I'm going to go down and see Piers and Lena and have a look. Jeremy, thank you very much indeed. We'll talk you through the rest of the season uh, about what's going on in the IndyCar paddocks. And uh, Jeremy will be part of the team here uh, on RS2, uh, IMSA Radio, of course, covering the Sebring 12 hours uh, this weekend. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. Thank Jeremy you Shaw much. joining us live on Midweek Motorsport Series 13, Episode 10. Uh, another one of our cohorts for the weekend, as you've already heard, is in the booth with us. Good afternoon to Shea Adam. Phoenix. 
Phoenix. I'm just a hotkey. Yeah, yeah. Phoenix. <laughs> she's not really here. Phoenix. Phoenix. It's a shame she's not really there. Would you like there. me to go ask Graham Rahl tomorrow? Graham Rahl. In the... Uh, yeah, in, yeah. The, in the pit lane tomorrow because he is driving one of the Penske prototypes. He's in the number seven with uh, Ilio and uh, with Ricky. Yeah. So I can ask him how he came from the back of the grid. That's prob- probably a good question. Yeah. Um, uh, probably a good question. Um, are we going to talk sport- sporty cars here, uh, Tim, in this section, or do you want to wait until Graham comes in after the uh, after the? I'm going to wait till Graham comes in in the next hour, actually. Uh, but I know that last week uh, Shea was in Mexico. I was in Mexico, and, and I also, left just in time, Tim. Also in Mexico last week was the World Rally Championship. Oh, great. Nick Damon's That's, still with that us. That is the worst... That is... Thank you. <laughs> that, that is the worst segue cue I've ever heard. Did you get the crowbar to put that in? That was <laughs> terrible. Uh, I want to know if Shay went to see any stages. I did not, unfortunately. I, I left well right done. before the uh, Formula E began as well, so it was a non-racing vacation. Uh, now, now, Nick. Now, now. Audi's first win of the season. Not a great, uh, not a great uh, weekend for the returning Sebastian Loeb. Wasn't it? No. Genuinely no. don't care. Indeed not. He's not. No. Picked up a careless <laughs> puncture. Nick. Stop being a curmudgeon. Oh. That was a hit for George Michael, wasn't it? When he left Warm, Careless Puncture. Uh, I think oh, I, I thought it was a, a Careless uh, Whisper. I knew it was something right. similar like that. I thought that was kind of a, when it was album track, Stop Being a Curmudgeon. <laughs> uh, which means that the win went <laughs> yes, to the uh, M Sport Ford World Rally team and Sebastian Ogier. Hooray! Uh, Danny Sordo was second for Hyundai uh, and Chris Meek was third in the Citroen. So he, Chris Meek was top Citroen, was he? He was, yes, uh, because of Sebastian Loeb's puncture. That's very good. Um, and there only being two Citroens. Right. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's Series 13, Episode 10. John and Shea, hello. Uh, we are here in Sebring. The cars that you can hear going by. I can't HSR. hear any cars. Oh, HSR. Yeah. That was an, e- an E42 BMW going by. Oh, that's a lot. It's a LAN. That's better. You can't <laughs> hear any cars. No. Our booth is that soundproof. You can't hear those cars going by outside. I can hear the cars. Really? I can hear them. I can't. Nick, you can always hear cars. They're just constantly in your head. Yeah, but... No, that's just... Say, that's just Nick's head. Yeah. Nick lives that's near it's a, a road. It's a, it's a motor... It's a motor... So that's your tunes. It's... Uh, oh, Nick, a very lovely Alpha uh, has just gone by in that proper dark Alpha red. That was lovely. Um, Nick is... Um, uh, Nick, Nick has motorsport tinnitus. <laughs> <laughs> he has a DFV running in his head all the time. Sounds painful. Uh, I'm going to play a bit of music here. All good stuff. Where do we go next, Tim Greer? Uh, to this. Okay. Night Fever. Yes. Now, why am I playing music this? Music of my youth. Some sort of night race is going on. Uh, something to do with... I was going to say, something to do with stuff that goes on in the... The hours of darkness. 
Yes. Uh, so, wh- which championship is going to host its first ever night races this year? Oh, I've just read about DTM. DTM is correct. Wow. The Deutsche Tourenwagen They've Meisters. They've standardised their starting times. they standardised their start times for all the others to half past 11 in the morning for um, most of the stuff, except for the night races, which uh, are obviously much later so they can get some darkness running. Now, there's a question here for me. I, I wasn't sure that they had working headlights. That is a good question. Hello? Uh, I'm not Clearly sure. Clearly, they'll have to. Now. Would you like me to ask Renee Rast? Well, yeah. Mm, yes. I have seen a um, photograph. Where's the, where's the night race going to be held? Mizano in Italy. I've seen a photograph of a uh, Mercedes Ooh. with its lights on, so I think they do have working headlights. Okay, fine. At uh, the moment, however, they are there just to be there. They're not actually there to light up the track. So right. it may be they have to refine them a bit and point them in the right direction <laughs> unless they're going to have more <laughs> track lighting to make it. I think it'll look great. I, I, I love lighting it. I love lighting up. Uh, sorry, I love racing it at, in darkness or semi-darkness. And I think the DTM cars will look pretty spectacular and pretty good. It will so be happening on we the... Wish them well with that. On oh, the Nick, August uh, Nick, bank holiday weekend, so it's uh, not going to be that dark that early. Okay. No. Even twilight, because they do spit a bit of flame. They'll look good. Yes. Okay, uh, next it's time for game show. Hey! Oh, very loud, Nick. Uh-oh. Very loud. Uh-oh. Sad, sad news uh, earlier today of the death of Jim Bowen, aged 80. Uh, we're playing Red Bullseye. No! Oh. Red Bullseye. Very good, Tim. Very good, Mr. Greer. You are you are supreme at coming up with these. Still my favourite dancing with applause, I have to say. Uh, yes. Very good. Deal of the century. Olivier and the other second. one. I can't remember that. What, what was your close second? Sorry, I missed yeah. that. Go uh, Deal of the century. Oh, deal of the um, century. Probably my club. And, and who would have faced with, ri- with facial hair? Yes. I quite like there was nothing like a Dane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and There's nothing like a Dane. It was quite good. Yes. And short The one we did earlier this year, which was uh, Cheggers Plays Bop as well. That was uh, very <laughs> entertaining. Uh, that, that was very good as well. Yes, very good. Uh, so how are we playing Red Bullseye? Uh, well, we have three contestants. Who are Nick Damon? Hello, Shay Adam. I wouldn't wait. Hi, and John Hindhoff. And uh, you'll get two questions each. Howdy. Uh, right. And the answers are all numbers, right. which you can score with three darts. Right. Okay. So. 
for example, the answer's not going to be one or two because you can't guess a number that low with three darts. Unless you miss the board, I suppose. Well, unless you miss the board. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry. You'll get that in a second or two. <laughs> uh, I think Shay will go first. Oh. Uh, your okay. question is, how many seasons in F1 has Red Bull completed? Um... Have to hurry you. Eleven. Eleven is the wrong answer. I'll pass across to Nick. <laughs> Thirteen. Thirteen is correct. Point for Nick. Oh man. And <laughs> Nick gets the next question. Okay. What is the sum of the car numbers of this year's Red Bull drivers? All four of them. No, just the two that are actually Red Bull. Oh, that's really annoying because I don't know what Danny Ricardo's number is. Um, 47? 47 is wrong, so I pass it to John. Well, I've got I've got not a clue. You better pass it to, to Shea because I think worth she knows she's bobbing around on the, on the balls of her feet here. It's worth having a guess. Um, all right, um, I will guess 70. 70 is also wrong. Shay. 36. 36 is correct. Shay gets the That's really annoying because I actually, in between me saying what I I remember the number. (laughs) Uh, Three and 33 are car numbers. (laughs) Yeah. I remember the the three. Uh, John, your question next. How many fastest laps has Mm -hmm. the Red Bull team scored in Formula One? Jeez. 13 seasons. 10, 20 minutes seasons. Uh, divide that by two. Add the market Dan Stockton. And I think that is going to be 88. And that's wrong, so we pass it to Shay. What's the highest number on the dartboard? Fifty. But Fifth. you can get trebles, so you could. So you could get uh, up to one hundred eighty. Okay. The, the maximum you can get with three darts is three treble twenties, which is one eighty. Um, you can't check out on that, of course, though, because you need to finish on a double. But the fifty counts a double, so you can check out on uh, one seventy. That would be double top, double top, and then bullseye. Um, I'm gonna go fifty-six. Is incorrect, Nick Damon. Uh, I reckon about forty. Is also incorrect. The correct answer was fifty-four. So after oh. the first round, Nick Damon has one point, oh. and Shay Adams has one point. The house with the bamboo point. door. <laughs> Next right. question: What was the? And this is for Shay again. What was the sum of the car numbers? Of all of the Red Bulls and Toro Rossos in 2009. What? Um. Mm, oh, I can't even know where they came. 62. 62 is incorrect, so we pass it to uh, Nick Damon. Hang on. I don't even know where they were. Um, 2009. <sighs> 
because that was before funny numbers. That's the first it thing. It is, yes. But I have no idea what position they came in. So let's say yeah. if one was like nine, yeah, it'd be nine and ten. So that's 19 and say 17 and 18 that's 35 45 uh, 54 is incorrect John why haven't I had a question you have for myself that was the how many fastest yes. laps did the team score that's what I want to know I thought that was somebody else's no that was yours you just got asked first 52, by the way, is my answer. Is correct. Uh, they were card numbers 11, 12, 14, and Man. 15. Uh, and it's Nick's turn next, is it? Yep. Nick, how many drivers have started Formula 1 races for either Red Bull or Toro Rosso? Either? Yes. Ooh, right, so good. Red Bull, you've got. Uh, Does it? C- I have a question on this question. Yes. If you've started for both, does that count once or twice? Once. Verstappen. Right. right. Okay. Ricciardo. Mm, so uh, Fiat, Ricciardo. Yeah, I know all those. Um, ten. Ten is incorrect. We pass it to John. Um, 12. Is incorrect. We pass it to Shay. 15. 15 is also incorrect. The correct answer was 17. Really? Yes. I won't ask you to name them all. Wow. Uh, John. (laughs) That'll be a question in the Christmas quiz. Yes? In 2012, how many more points did Sebastian Vettel score than Mark Webber? So Sebastian Vettel won the title. But Sorry, how say many, that again? In 2012, how many more points did Sebastian Vettel score than Mark Webber? Um, not. Uh, 70. And we pass it to Shea. 96. And we pass it to Nick. Uh, um, which one was which? Is that 12, 13, That was 14, his third 15, title. No. Oh, that wasn't the one where you absolutely completely pegged him, was it? There was a previous, that was the following year you absolutely pegged him. Yes. Oh, Jesus, I don't know. 77? Also incorrect. It was 102. Really? I didn't it was rubbish that year as well. So at oh, the end of oh, round wow. two, uh... Nick and Shay are tied for the lead on one point. So we go to a tiebreaker question. Oh, how exciting. Hang on, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on a second. I got a point as well because I got 52 right. It's true, actually. It's, 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 it's a three-way tie. tie, in fact. Yes, three-way mm. tie. So we go to our tiebreaker question. <laughs> I'm about to put a protest in on the game show. You, right, yeah, you won't, okay. won't win the, boat, the yacht. Uh, so as soon as you know the answer... Come on. Shout your name. Mm-hmm. How many points did Christian That's Clean a problem for us because we've got a four-second delay. For the Red Bull team in his career. How many points did Christian Clean score for the Red Bull team in his career? What, 
Red Bull Red or Bull. Red Bull 5? Shay. Shay is the first person to shout her name out and says... One. One Can't is incorrect. Uh, anyone else want to have a guess? Nick, Nick, five. Nick, five is wrong as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> John. John. Three. Is still incorrect. Funnily enough, Christian Cleon managed 11 points while he was at Red Bull. He was there two seasons. Yeah, two, two of their crappy early seasons. Yes, that is true. Uh and unfortunately, that means that uh, we have no winner and you're all losers. Midweek Motorsport. Half time. And while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. Uh, more to come from Sebring. We're live next to the start finish line here of the classic American circuit. It's the Mobile 12 Hours of Sebring presenters by Advance Auto Parts this weekend over on RS2. Our coverage uh, starting with WeatherTech first practice later on this week. Keep the comments coming in at Specutainment. And in hour two tonight, Grim Goodwin, editor of Dirty Sports Card, joins me here at Sebring. And we'll be talking a different type of racing than what we normally do on this show. But it is something that we're used to talking about uh, on RS1. It's uh, Midweek Motorsport, Series 13, Episode 10 on RS1 Port, the Radio Show Limited Network. Midweek of Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. And where would you like us to go next, Tim? Shall I bring in another guest? Uh, you shall indeed. I think we can say goodbye to Nick Damon for the moment, but uh, remember that Nick, See you in an hour. Nick will be back in oh, okay. 55 minutes. Uh, for our Formula One season preview, uh, where we'll also be joined by Sam Grab Collins food, from Nick. Race Car Engineering. We'll do. See you guys. Ah. Excellent. Good stuff. And uh, we'll continue then from uh, live uh, from just above the start-finish line here on a beautiful Florida afternoon. Midweek Motorsport uh, continues. Shea, you can stay with us here. Uh, Graham Goodwin still to come, as we mentioned. Uh, as we are delighted to welcome live to the show from our uh, August and now entering, I think it's fourth season of uh, of broadcast. The Toro Radio Show goes out uh, on a Thursday once every month here on RS1. And Louis Satterley is with us. I, sh- I shall say, as we are here, it's just after five o'clock. Good afternoon, Louis. How are you? I'm quite well, actually. In the middle of my vacation, enjoying some time off of work and... A little bit tired after the early wake-up call to get into the track this morning. So, uh, you were the, you were here before the rest of us. We built up yesterday afternoon. Uh, you were here early on in the week, were you? Yeah, uh, I was actually in St. Pete for IndyCar, and as soon as that was over, I came right over here, and I've been here since Sunday evening. Uh, now, big question that a lot of people were asking: Why were you not on the last Toro Radio show? That is because I was in the middle of recovering from a 24-hour go-kart race at Bushnell Motorsports Park. Where we finished third overall, second in class. Oh, and I've, have your ribs recovered yet? Actually, I was very fortunate. I only got about four hours of seat time, so my ribs were not too bad. But our young hot shoe, Colin Warren, actually, he's uh, went perfect, actually, for the Scusa Winter Tour. 
in the yellow 206, and he, I think we put him in that cart for almost 10 hours. Oh. Yeah, and he's such a small kid. And he was rattling around in oh. the seas. Oh, yes, he was. Oh. So, but I mean, he, ow, ow, ow. like a trooper, he just gets right on out, and he's, he's like, I'm ready to go for a double. So. And, what, and what was the <laughs> – see, at that age, they just don't know any better. You just slap them around a bit, throw them back in. And what carts was this? This – we were driving the uh, Margate Ignite. Right. Which is made specifically for the uh, Briggs and Stratton LO206 motor. It's a four-stroke. Okay. So um, around Bushnell Motorsports Park, you probably get somewhere around 50 to 60 miles an hour. I mean, it's a very tight circuit for a Florida So you're pulling circuit. a few Gs and you're moving around. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, good. I love it. Uh, well done on that. Here to talk about the Toro Radio Show and uh, uh, things uh, in e-racing and, and virtual racing. First of all... Congratulations on the Toro Radio Show. Been going great guns for the last four seasons. You, Matt, and the rest of the guys uh, love your track tests and car tests. I know it's a labour of love for you, and, and you enjoy it. Um, you guys have been at this for a very long time. Lots of things going on in the eSports world. And uh, in a week's time, actually, I'm off to uh, Seattle. Am I allowed to talk about this? Yes. Yes, okay. Um, I'm off to Seattle. Uh, to Microsoft and Forza, one of your partners with uh, the, the Torah Championships, to talk about something very, very exciting indeed. Shed some light. I wish I could shed some light, John, but that one's actually been kept in the dark on me as well, and Matt has asked me to talk to you about it, Ah. so you could shed some light onto me about it. Right, well, a new era of eSports uh, begins on March the 24th uh, with IMSA, teaming up with Forza for the Forza Racing Championship Invitational presented by IMSA. The world's top Forza Motorsports 7 drivers and teams brought together in Seattle for a four-hour broadcast event at the headquarters of Turn 10 Studios, who, of course, create the uh, franchise. Uh, streamed across a variety of platforms, including Twitch.tv, uh, Twitter, YouTube, ForzaMotorsport.net, and uh, Facebook. And the last time that the Forza pre-season invitational happened it drew more than half a million viewers this is presented by IMSA it's an IMSA sanctioned championship and it sounds fantastic the through the year they'll be racing on Daytona uh, Sebring Watkins Glen Road America VIR Mazda and Road Atlanta and be using the cars from the IMSA championship now not the first time that a real-life one-to-one series have gone into the virtual world, but this is the first time that IMSA has done this, and this is an, an important step forward. Yeah, absolutely, it is. Um, I believe Ben actually will be joining you over there for that one, but oh, really? literally, I'm as it came out of your mouth, it's the first I'm hearing about that, so now I see why Matt decided to tease me on that one. How important is it for those people in the eSports community, those who do the virtual racing, um, is it important? I'll ask the question. We've seen other series do it. Is it important to have a link with the real world? Because not everybody who races in virtual reality is actually a, a motorsport and a real-world motorsport fan. They, they, they do it for the love of that part of the sport. Mm-hmm. Is it important for IMSA to be involved? Um, does it help them? I would say it actually does help them because they're able to engage a fan that may want to eventually get to the racing world. Like myself, for instance, I always wanted to be a race car driver when I was a kid. Anybody who's a racing fan has always wanted that. We all do. Yeah, exactly. So, unfortunately, funding does not exactly get you there. You know that feeling. So, I know that feeling all too well myself. So, but doing it through eSports, whether it is through Forza or Project Cars or a Gran Turismo or mm-hmm. iRacing, this puts you in the spotlight to where other people can see you, MC can see you, with zero money to your name. Yeah. 
and you could show off your talents. Yeah. So you may not be the greatest marketing person in the world to get yourself that funding, but this is a way to say, we see you're talented, we'll help you. And the key thing with all of these uh, challenges, whether it's involved with the series or not, and this one is, is I think the, the, the draw for me uh, on these kind of challenges is I'm, I am competing against another human being and not AI. When I play FIFA... I don't, I, I don't do the season stuff. Well, I do, just to keep my hand in, but mostly I'm doing online games. I'm playing um, FIFA Ultimate Team. If I'm on Gran Turismo, I'm finding Shea in a game lobby somewhere or Martin Haven or you know people I don't know and I'm racing against them. And to me, that's, that's the key, that element of human competition, even if the person's on the other side of the world. Yes, exactly. And I mean, even if it is not from... Like you said, you purposely go out and you find what we call a lobby. Yeah. For lack of a better term for gamers, where you were to go out and find those people. But, I mean, at the same time, and we all come across it, we get those wonderful, as we call them in the gaming world, trolls who don't particularly care to go racing. <laughs> and you come across that, you get frustrated, and that's where the single player comes in. So now, again, keeps your foot wet, and like you said, keeps you gives you seat time for sure. So And that's what racing's all about, is seat time. And Forza have really established themselves as, if not the, certainly one of the go-to platforms for online racing. Uh, you, you guys at Tora how, were, you know, embraced it early on. The majority of the championship that you you run is, is on Forza. Why is that? Simply because of ease. Um, they make it incredibly easy to set up a race lobby to where you can go in, just change a couple of settings, and you're off racing right away. Okay. You also get the freedom of creation, which Gran Turismo, with their latest iteration, they just implemented the paint editor where you can put your own liveries on the car. Yeah, I saw that. Forza's been doing that for Ever. since day one. Yeah. Mm. You know, so it's always just been that, and we have a really good following on the Xbox platform. So that's why we more or less stuck with that, and we've actually been slowly starting to branch out to other things. Like, for instance, I think we have somebody starting to do a Gran Turismo League, this year, we've done a little bit foot to toe with iRacing. It hasn't really taken off, so climate for us isn't great. So we're sticking with what we know, which is the Xbox platform, and so far it's doing great. It's funny, isn't it, that the people in the gaming world, whatever um, game they are playing, tend it's it is a bit like motorsports sometimes, where you'll get somebody who says, "Well, you know, I'm an F1 fan, so I don't follow sports cars, or I'm a NASCAR fan, so I don't follow anything else." Um, <laughs> In in gaming world, you tend to be either a PlayStation person or an Xbox person. There are a few people who go between the two. Or a PC person. Oh, yes, indeed. Yeah. That, that's, that. And, but for me personally, I mean, I am partial to the Xbox, but I have a very open mind. Like, I mean, for instance, you see the shirt I'm wearing. Yeah, yes. I'm very broad on my motorsport, so I'm very broad on my platforms that I like to race on as well. Um, I've done a few things on PC. I used to be diehard on PlayStation. I switched over to Xbox. And... Again, it's just a simple of what I like at the time, and if I don't like it this time, I can go out to the store and change if I'd like to. Mm. So, I mean, me personally, I'm diverse, but like you said, people are just diehard brand loyalty, kind of like the Ford and Chevy battle over here that we get yeah, exactly. domestically. So Exactly so. Um, what do you think we'll see then at this event in Seattle, not this weekend coming, but next weekend, a four-hour challenge. They're bringing everybody uh, together. Um what big names should I be looking at? Who do you think might turn up there? They're keeping their cards close to their chest, so we're having a bit of a guess here. I'm going to guess a gentleman of David Hoach is going to be there. He went over to Le Mans last year for the challenge that they had over there with 
Xbox and the Forza. Um, there's actually a number of names I could tell you, and if you didn't ask me, I'd be able to tell you all. No, no, that's fine. Yeah. That's so, fine. <laughs> some of these guys are signed up to esports teams and actually either you know get get paid by them, and they actually they might not be making all their living and paying their mortgage out, but you know, I, I know that it's happened in. Um, first-person shooter games down through the years that the people make a living out of that. That is starting to happen more now in, in esports motorsport. It's been around for a while on the motorsport side of esports, but the thing was they weren't getting paid for it. But, I mean, some of those teams that are been around for a while, like uh, F4H Motorsport, which they've been around since I've been into sim racing, mm. better part of 10 years, and they have a... They're considered one of the more elite teams. I mean, and I hate to use that word, and they hate it if I mm. use that word as well. But it, they well are established. They, they, well established. Well established. That's a better way to put it. But I mean, they set themselves at a benchmark that puts it to where everybody has to beat them. So, and essentially, in the sim racing world on Xbox, they are that team Penske. They are that team uh, Yost. Mm. Right. So they've got the targets on the bike. Yeah. And while everybody else is down there, maybe at. Wouldn't that make them Ganassi? Yeah. Not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so do people. You know, do pe people try out for these teams then? So you go and do a test, and if the the guys like you and you, the, you, they say your results are good, or you go out and do something, how do you, how do you get involved with a team like that? It's a number of different ways to do it. Like some teams, they actually have a designated painter on there. They'll hire them onto the team just to do all designs. That's it. Huh. That's all they do. They're not great at racing. They have some people that are just there strictly for tuning, and they have their racers. So, it's so just it, is, it is it is like a, a real race team. You will have someone who just engineers the cars alo along with the drivers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the hours they would spend nonstop. So like some people, I mean, you said there's like, yeah, I went to class today at university. You're like, when did you have time to do that? Because I'm just now waking up. Mm. And you've been at this all day. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's one of those things that you wonder how people have the time to do it. But, I mean, like for me, it's my golf game. To them, it's their golf game, hobby, job, life. Mm -hmm. And that's what they like to do. So. so who did you say was coming across from Tora? I believe a gentleman of David Hoke is coming as a driver, but for the Tora radio show, I believe Ben is going to be joining you over in Seattle. Right, okay. Excellent. Looking forward to that. Uh, where are you staying this weekend? I am at lovely Collier Corner over there. You can almost see it, what used to be the yeah. old fertilizer plant that's down over there. So been there for 27 of my 30 years of life, camping out over there, so good for you yeah, yeah. It's, it's what they say about sebring it's a cult you got you just got to go <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's like the morning i always say big events like this and it is a big event is uh it's a disease it very much and so it, is. And it, and it, as as it's as you start to get around with Le Mans, you get the sort of may time and start getting itchy well here it's you know end of february beginning of halfway through february you're going is it sebring yet is no it sebring? usually we're actually doing that about a week from now is it Sebring yet? Is it Sebring yet? <laughs> to, to quote the much-missed Henry Hawk Frost, it is indeed a fever. Louis, thanks very much indeed for being with us, and I'm looking forward to Seattle, not this weekend, but next weekend. Absolutely. Do you mind if I do a quick plug? Of course. So, um, as we've been doing, and I've mentioned it on the Midweek Motorsport Listeners Collective as well, we have the RSL Le Mans series, which is on Project Cars 2. We are utilizing the um, LMP2 class GT3 and GT4. It is not too late to join, and it does not matter what platform you are on. Because the really? game is available on all of them. We merge all the results all together and make our results that way. Actually, just before I let you go, there is one thing I want to say. Because anybody who's listening to this and thinks this, you know, how hard can it be? All you've got to do is turn the console or the computer on and go and do it. You guys at Toro, one of the things that always impressed me when we first started talking to you is, first of all, you are um, 
Torah is recognised by the RSE, MSA, the people who control motorsport in the UK, as an organising motorsport club. And you guys put your regulations, rules, BOP and all of that together in exactly the same way as a real-world full-size motor racing uh, organiser would. Mm-hmm. And spend a lot of time doing that. And still come out more often than not with more questions and answers. So do you have the same arguments then between your people with BOP, with, between different cars, as we do here this weekend? You absolutely do. <laughs> um, so prime example actually was um, at Daytona that we did. We we tend to run our endurance races the weekend before the mm. real thing. So actually we just had our 12 hours of Sebring and, and what last weekend. Uh, well, we had it. I wasn't fully for this one, but they had it as a spec class of yesteryear's Mazda Lola as ah. a spec prototype for the top class, but you could rebadge it. Right. So I, for my team that I had, I did a wonderful uh, old Miller High Life Porsche throwback livery Lovely. and rebranded it as a Porsche Lola. It, was there a GT class? There was a GT class. That was an open class. Uh, we had basically what is GTE right now. We had Corvette, Ford, Porsche. And who won? Uh, oh, what run? What one? I believe that was a Porsche. Ooh. I'm trying to go off the top of my head here. Okay. Okay. So, but back to the BOP question that you were yeah. having. So at Daytona, Love it. back to, at Daytona, we just got the Porsche as DLC. It was the new RSR. Yes. This car was lightning fast in a straight line. Does not handle very well in, uh-huh. on that platform. So you get to Daytona, it's going 191 miles per hour into the brake zone, while the fastest car lap time is doing about 170. Yep. And people are just up in arms saying, this car's way too fast in a straight line, you need to put it back. Well, everybody's already made their car choice. Okay, we'll peg it back a little bit, and now the car just doesn't go. Right. So it's just like the real world. <laughs> it is just a real, like the real world, and the only, our, I would say our only real complaint is that we can only do it in 5% increments on yes. handicaps. So, I mean, or restrictions, I should say. So, so, so who makes those decisions? Then? It is a joint effort. Right, okay. Mm. So usually we'll get... A baseline of a core group of guys in the staff or of the uh, test team. It's usually five to six of us. We'll get a baseline that we can, and then we'll distribute each car for each car, yeah. and then we'll distribute it out to a lot of the known larger teams. Have them go out and test it because they spend all day. That's like more I said, than real world people do. <laughs> it really. Uh, who? All right. So who is Paul Barfield and Elliot Ford Robinson? Do you have a race director and a driving standards director as well? We do have a race director and a driving standards director and it's basically one giant team and it's whoever becomes available here you go hmm. tag right. you're it so i mean because a lot of us we do have real world jobs we do have a lot of stuff so it's more or less of a hey this just popped up can somebody take a look at it yes i will of course the key thing about doing testing you can do as much testing as you want in sim racing it doesn't cost you any money it doesn't cost you any money it's not like taking a truck and getting the tires and filling up the cars exactly so if you've got the it, the, the key element is time it's time and the best way to go about it instead of doing it solo, would be like what you say is to hop into a lobby and get it around the traffic. Cause a lot, And this is another thing I see a lot in the sim racing world. People go out there, they've set the cars up for qualifying, they're solo, that's fine. Then when they get the car in traffic, it doesn't go anywhere, they're constantly being passed because they don't set the car up for the race. And it happens more often than not. <laughs> Louis, thanks, mate. Have a great weekend. Absolutely. What do you reckon for this weekend? Who do you, who do you reckon? Cadillac still? Uh, to be honest with you, if I'm going to go to sentimental favorite, I'm going to go with Yoast. Ooh. Breakouts could be the breakout race for it, Mazda. It could be. But I'm, I've been a Yost fan pretty much since Champion Racing dissolved back in the 2000s. Yeah. They still exist. They still They're exist. They're right here. They're right oh, yeah. here. Just yeah, like yeah. Momo Racing. If you look at my coffee mug down there, that yeah, was yeah. my diehard childhood team when Moretti retired. So 
But if I'm going to be realistic, I'm going to actually say ESM. Ooh. Hmm. Interesting choice. So, all right. All right we'll, 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 uh, uh, somebody's written that down somewhere. And, okay. and you will be getting a, a text or a Twitter message at half past ten on Saturday night when ESM win, and I'll go, well, we certainly called this on Wednesday. So, Well, it is Sebring after all, so hopefully I won't be... You'll be able to read it. Hopefully. Well, let's, we'll let's it that just way. put it that way. <laughs> Louis, good to have you on the show, Absolutely. mate. Absolutely. Thank Thanks you for having me. Louis Satley from the Tora Radio Show uh, joining us this evening. And uh, just to underline that, that uh, I'll be part of that IMSA Forza Championship, the pre-season event in Seattle, not this weekend, but next Saturday, four-hour event. I am really, really looking forward to that. You're listening to Midweek Motorsports. It's uh, Season 13, Episode 10, and Graham Goodwin joins us here in the IMSA Broadcast Centre, overlooking the start-finish line for the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring, presented by Advance Auto Parts. Hello, Tim. Hello, everybody. It's great to be back, John. Oh, it, it's great to have you back here. It was a, a bit of a shock seeing you outside of Marion's this morning when I, when I came <laughs> well, out. Well, they wouldn't let me in. No, well, I'm, well, that wasn't a shock. No. It no, was, <laughs> fair enough. No, my first time back since uh, the infamous race in 2012. Funny enough, that poster is on the wall of the place that we're staying at the moment. And uh, I did mention it to Shay this morning, and she did have a small convulsion because oh, she was working now. in the... TV graphics trucks that weekend. Eventually, we will get a Final combined result. set of results for that. We yeah. Still waiting. Just want to say, by the way, I was standing in the background as Louis was talking about uh, the the ins and outs of Toro Racing. That is staggering. Absolutely amazing. Way beyond what I was expecting. It's uh, way I, beyond what some, some real full-size real-world series do. I'm genuinely quite intimidated by it. It's the honest answer. Uh, I, I mean, it, it brought to mind a conversation I remember having well, it must have been a couple of three years ago now, uh, with, now who was this with? It was might have been Rob Barth mm. uh, around the GT Academy guys. And, and Rob came up, just one of those bits of little bits of wisdom that you don't, don't think about until someone presents you with it, which is, well, these guys do have an advantage because they've spent their entire career doing gaming, setting cars up, which yes. is quite often what the guys don't arrive with mm-hmm. coming into racing. Uh, and and the key about that is that you understand if you soften that bit off or you tweak that bit or you change that rule bar, you understand what that should do to the car. Yep. The advantage you have when you're in a real car, you, you feel it through your backside. Yep. When you're doing it, and I still don't understand when I watch people like Gary Dodds, who is awesome, he can feel the car moving around as if he was sitting in it, but just by looking at one screen. And that's something I struggle bonkers. with, even when I go on They're to you know, base performance to do a bit of practice for any new tracks I go to, is I still have to put myself into, into that mode. Um, we are talking about the 66th annual Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring presented by Advance Auto Parts. Uh, before that share, on Friday, of course, we've got a two-hour Continental Tyre sports car challenge. Uh, the other thing that's happening this week, which is looking further in the future, which is tremendously important, I'll get a quick comment from... Uh, both of you on this is this time next year um, it'll have taken us four hours to get here because we will have we'll be staying down in Miami because that's the only place there'll be any hotel rooms because the WEC grid will be here as well and a huge contingent Graham of uh, of WEC staff here from uh, right at the top with Pierre Fion, Gerard Naveau, Fee Miller is here. I've seen already seen and spoke to Alexi and some of the other TV guys, uh, Cedric, Pascal. They're all here to talk about this race next year. And it's not the work of a moment. I know there's a seven-hour um, meeting planned 
on Sunday. Still a lot of things to be hammered out yeah, with that. I like biscuit, though, so we're okay. There is bi- biscuit. Pas de biscuit, pas de café. No, 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 no. I like biscuit, and uh, the Grand Charbon uh, uh, right. uh, will uh, et arrive okay. uh, for the WC meeting. Absolutely right. This is Merca. We speak Merca. English. <laughs> well, well, sort of. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> but don't speak Spanish, uh, Yeah, it, it's clearly essential. Um, we... we We've got to move. No. We've got to move on from the "it's not going to happen" into the "how is it going to happen." Uh, and the one thing I think you may have already referred to it on me with motorsport, but let's say it again because it's been presented to me three times since I got here. Did you know, Graham? There's going to be another pit lane between turn sixteen and seventeen. No, there isn't. It's that, be- that was, in fairness, that was an original proposal and okay. the building of a, a drive-over bridge on the back straight. Yep. From what I've heard from everybody here at Sebring and from people at IMSA is that that is no longer an option and that the pit lane will be shared. Now, part of that, and I'm glad you brought that up, that means the logistics have already changed and the midnight start time for the 1,500 miles of Sebring is now gone. That it will be a minimum of four hours between the end of... Confirmed? Uh, this th- these are the logistical targets that I'm being told are being asked to be made. Okay. Well, let's 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 wait and see. Certainly, every time I've asked the the questions that I know everybody out there has actually got, I've found myself being uh, responded to more and more loudly. It will happen. It will happen. I've no doubt at the moment it will happen. How it happens, I think, will be determined. I t- I'll tell you why we know it's going to... Well, not why we know it happened. I'll tell you, everybody thinks it's going to happen because you try and try, try and book a hotel room. Oh, quite now. right. I'm lucky I've sorted myself for, 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 for 2019. I'm not telling anybody where. Not, not a hope <laughs> We're staying at Cheers. I only live two and a half hours away. Yes, so exactly. I can sleep in my own bed and cover yep. the race. We may have to. <laughs> the most brilliant logistical proposal... The helicopter in. Ooh. You're n- right next to Fort Lauderdale Airport, and oh, we could drop close. Yeah, get some backing for that, couldn't you? Yeah, 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 surely. Yeah, yeah, we That's can figure we it out. To it, sorted. Logistical-wise, though, the most brilliant proposal I've heard is the fact that these cars will be running through the night time into the early morning. That's when their practice sessions should be, so it will not impact the IMSA calendar at all. Oh, that's if, a great. If you idea. think about the IMSA schedule, we don't do anything. I mean, tomorrow's our busiest day, 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. We don't do anything between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. They can have the track then. Brilliant idea, and it's something I've heard tossed around. It's a that. really good idea for everybody that's not covering both races. Exactly. Thanks. Good luck with that. <laughs> I think that's a smashing idea. Yeah. yeah thanks, guys. And also, it takes away a lot of the pressure from some of the infrastructure. It, it adds pressure on things like corner workers, mm. but as you're going to have to have probably three teams of people, one and a half teams for each of the events, then the potential to make that work, the TV side, that works. You just get the second crew in and their working hours start at 10 o'clock at night until 6 o'clock in the morning where everybody else is doing the other way around. Exactly. That's a great idea. Not Not my idea. And I will give the person who said it credit when he says it's okay to say that it was his idea. Mm -hmm. I'm right on the idea about putting some matting down so it's not so bumpy. It's, It's gone as well. Uh, no, I think that still might be out mm. there. When mm. I talked with Wayne Estes at the test, he said that they were not planning to do any resurfacing. Mm. It destroys the character of the track. Quite right. No, absolutely right. I think he was joking, in fairness. So you um, on that track walk now, you're bound to find mm. fillings from back back in the glory days, you know. I, I watched the McLaren uh, movie, the, the New Zealand-made McLaren movie about Bruce McLaren's life uh, on the Virgin Atlantic flight on the way over. And uh, I hadn't seen it before, and I have to say it was outstanding. Yes, they did some recreations in it, but it was done in a very sympathetic way and with the real-to-real tape recordings and the 
texts, uh, red text of, of letters and contemporary footing from the deer. So absolutely. And of course, the reason I mentioned that is because Bruce McLaren won here in 59 in the same race where Sir Jack Brabham uh, pushed his car over the line to win the world championship. And I never ceased to be amazed by the fact that when we walk out onto that concrete, that is exactly where that happened. Mm-hmm. Did they recreate that by putting somebody in a tumble drive with a couple of half bricks? <laughs> well, pretty... Pretty much. Um, uh, so, new, let, by the way, new start finish line. Yes, and a far smaller start finish line. In terms of the checker, yes. In terms of the the painting, it's been it's been the the start finish line's in exactly the same place, but we don't have quite as much paint on the track. No, indeed, and I was told that that might have been part of the reasoning behind it. There were some issues when it gets wet. Yes, uh, I don't think we got wet coming no. this time. I don't think we have. Um, let, let's let's move away from this time next year and move to this time this year St Patrick's Day on Saturday we will have already had the Conti race by then I'm looking forward to that just a short two hour blast for those guys Been one or two little BOP adjustments the Mercedes-Benz runners still going oh, I'm not sure I'm not sure but okay we'll we'll find out they'll be sure when they win finally well that's when they'll be sure I, I have very little time for anybody that says well we've got to have an absolutely perfect race if we've got to win well yeah <laughs> Isn't that the point? <laughs> yeah. um, and you know, and, and and in fairness, most of the competitors aren't like that, which is which is absolutely correct. Uh, do you realise Le Mans is playing on a loop on that? Yes, there? I know. Yes. Been watching, keep, keep looking, keep looking up and thinking, oh, that bit. I'll sit and watch that for five minutes. Fantastic. Um, Everybody that's been coming into the press room, by the way, noticed that. It's like you know, that moment in uh, what is it? up, isn't it? The movie Squirrel. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so at the weekend, sixteen prototypes, nine GTLMs, eighteen GTDs. Sure, you were here for the. Test, I'm not sure. You you weren't very happy. You said this. You thought one or two people weren't showing full potential. No, I won't have that said. Surely not. In a test. Um, in front of officials, surely. I'm loving the pro- the 16 prototype entries. Um, my money's still on the Cadillacs. Interesting that Louis there went for the ASMs. The Nissan DPIs have always been quick uh, around here. Um the P2 cars uh, have, generally speaking, Graham, been or P2 derived cars, the global P2 cars, chassis have have, have often been um, a bit uh, fragile, and we've still yet to see them really have a go uh, here. That that some of the DPIs, obviously, the based on the same chassis, they have the same issues. It's never been the problem for Cadillac. Why is that? I don't know. I mean, you know, I guess look at it this way. In terms of the pounding here, I mean, it's it's Tonya Harding-like in terms of its hardness, isn't it? It's, What's it's, doing somebody's knees? Yeah, basically, lap. it's like, you know, being hit with hammers all the time for 12 mm. hours. But, um, yeah, it is quite difficult to look beyond Cadillac. But you'd like to think... So I'm, I'm being stared at really hard now by Eva. That's <laughs> really easy, Tiger. So, the problem is, this is the first time I've done this live this uh, year, and I've, I've forgotten what that feels like. That's real, really, I feel mm. really naughty now. But, I mean, I, in fairness, the Cadillac share, um, even the Cadillac that won at Daytona, I mean, there, there's a hell of a story there to be told sometimes, because that car could have fallen apart. They, they all had, a lot of the Cadillacs had uh, overheating problems. Mm-hmm. There was a thought that that car might have been dropping on and off eight cylinders, and, you know... I would love to know what they found when they took the cylinder heads off off not, that winning car. Not much. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was a real nail-biter, wasn't it? Well, it was it Diana was. who was staring at Joao Barbosa and Christian Fittipaldi for the end of the race and watching them nervously bite off their fingers. I don't think we really realised how close to them not finishing that was. 
they wouldn't make eye contact. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. when you realize that it's not just superstition, there's something else. I, I spoke to one of the drivers, and I won't name the driver from Action Express, who was extremely open about how worried they were, and I went back to the press room and wondered whether or not I should actually write that they weren't expecting that either, either car no. to actually finish. Astonishing stuff. Uh, not a vintage Daytona, I have to say. Well, you see, I, but I, I, I have to say I very much enjoyed that. Um, I thought it was cracking. Hang on a second, I'm just getting a bit of noise from somewhere. There we are. Um, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And I thought the long green flag runs were extraordinarily informative. Where you saw, particularly in GT Le Mans, you know, the Ford went all the way at the back and then crept forward and then got second and stayed behind. And, you know, Mike Rockenfeller losing a tenth a lap, half a tenth a lap, just dropping away to 18 seconds over the course of an hour. I mean, it, it, that was the big killing for them we're not I'm not sure we're going to see that exactly the same here because here it's a shorter race and B it's a, it's a different track here I don't think we're going to have a distance record for this one because everyone was so well behaved at Daytona I think there's a bit of expectation now and that's normally when danger tends oh to strike the studded gloves yes yeah, it um it, it's when you think that everyone's on their best behavior that they tend to try and get away with more um and it's not a you're right it's not a place is it that actually favors that kind of running here no. there's, there's m much more likelihood of being much much more incident I'm watching some of the drivers uh, out on track actually just going to the bridge it looks like those are the porsche guys it, you can tell that even from this it's because they're marching in formation <laughs> yes they're very well trained yeah, and wearing the exact same thing. Ah, all yes, of them. that's a good point. Yeah, they tend to do that on their track walks. No, but it, it's a place where it's very easy to drop a wheel, get grass on the track, get get stuff actually on yep. the circuit, which only happens in a very little portion relatively on, on Daytona. So you've got the exit of the bus stop where there's temptation for danger, and then you've got just after the kink. But other than that, not a lot of grass tends to accumulate on Daytona. That's an issue that you have on Sebring. Mm. Um. I'm just trying to find out. I haven't got it. All-time sleeping records. Most yeah. beer drunk in the 12 hours. Graham Goodwin. That was definitely not me. <laughs> yeah. I was looking at how many yellow flags actually. Although it did happen once. It did happen. 2002. It did. I really? did drink beer here. Joined the race in 2002. Our very first Sebring on De uh, Delhi Sports Car. And we had a major... Um, UK-wide server farm failure. It took down 15% of the UK's web. Mm. All because you drank beer. All because I drank. That, that, mm. that meant was we couldn't cover Sebring, so I went and stood at the hairpin for ah. about three hours and did drink quite a lot of beer. Well, I will be slightly different. I do not think it will be a Cadillac that wins this race. I think it will be one of the Penske's because they have Ooh. been testing here like crazy. And if anything, I think it's going to be the car with Ilio and with Ricky. And they were quite stung, weren't they, at, at, at Daytona? Yeah. I think they expected better. Yeah, and I'm not going to say they struggled they got a result but it wasn't what they expected and I'll expect them to come back quite strongly and a bit of a funny story actually during the test there was a bit of night running where the Penske's were going out and just before the session began Johnny Knotts who's the head pit lane official went over to Elio who was sitting on the pit wall and he said hey you guys have been testing here right you seen the pigs and Elio got really big eyes and went, what? No. And Johnny said, watch out for the pigs, turned and walked away. Left Ilio thinking the whole time that they're a wild boar that <laughs> roam across the track. Well, so, just, just watching the teams, actually, still that track walk in front of us at the moment, I can tell you the Cadillac guys slightly slow in a straight line than the Penske guys, mm. so that maybe that shows us something. Yes, but they're all behind the uh, the Porsche guys. Yeah, there's too many of them. Yeah, <laughs> flying in formation. Uh, very good indeed. To be mown down uh, by the turbo truck. <laughs> from Homestead. Really? Yeah. What uh, What do we reckon for GT Le Mans? Um, Ford looked imperious at 
uh, dear Torna. And, and actually, I'll, I said it at the time, I'll, I'll reiterate, I don't think they were pushed. The, the attitude of the car, the body language of the car, you look at a car, when we've seen as much racing as we have, when we've seen far too much racing, some people would say, um, you just get an idea of when a car is pushing hard. And that Ford didn't look like it was being leaned on. And there's no massive changes in BOP and in, in GT uh, Le Mans. Um, this is a different track. I'll give it that. So, you know, what are we going to see? Right. Well, first and foremost on Ford, whatever happens out there, if you're going at the kind of speed that the guys are going, it's not easy. Oh, no, indeed. But, but they were they challenged, it, though, But were they? they made it look easy. Yeah. And that was the point. They made it look very easy. And that took something away from the race. They're clearly going to be in contention. Uh, there's no doubt about that. They've got the speed. It's not as Ford-friendly a track as Daytona uh, was. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, for starters, what happens with the Ferrari. I had a really interesting conversation with someone who shall remain nameless, because it could cost me his job, um, about what's happened with BOP and the Ferrari, the Evo kit and the Ferrari, mm. uh, where in the wind shear test that's been done, described at them as having lost all of the front downforce they gained with the new kit. Mm. And that's been taken away in BOP. So um, that might explain, uh, uh, guys, why it is that Ford decided not to do their Evo kit. Mm. So, um, and by the way, Giuseppe Ricci, who's been poorly lately, um, a little better from what we hear. I don't think he's going to be here this weekend, so well, we sent well, him in his, his best. Yeah. yeah. Um, Corvette, they've always... They own this place. Always done well here. Yep. But interesting what Louis was saying about the Tora version of this race and, and the Porsche RSR, which is relatively new um, as a as downloadable content, I say, for uh, Forza, um, being going so well here in the online version. I actually have a sneaking feeling that, that this track might suit the RSR. It does seem, doesn't it, that that Porsche everywhere is, is on the cusp. It's on the cusp of... Absolute greatness. Mm. Mm. Uh, but they just, were nowhere at Daytona. Yeah. Mm, I quite fancy that car to be pretty good. But, uh, you know, what I'm looking we're for We're not is getting rain this weekend. Hey, no. Are we? no. How, how big a step forward are we going to see from the BMWs? That, that's going to be critical in terms that, of that the is happiness a very good point. of that paddock. Will they be leaping forward to take this race by three or four clear laps? No. <laughs> uh, but they sure as heck better be Bobby in the Ray, Bobby Ray Hall would like that to happen. It would be, yeah. it would be Bobby nice for, for the Ray Halls, wouldn't yeah. it, over, Chris, over Christmas dinner, Sunday Over Easter. Easter. Yeah. But, um, but no, I think, um, yeah, Porsche, I'd like to see him in the mix, oh, if only because, together with the Corvettes, they're the best-sounding cars here. So, fantastic. My money is on the four, because if you listen to my interview with Oliver Gavin mm. at The Roar, this race is one that he really, really, really wants. How many more opportunities is he going to get? Mm. So point. this is one that he's going to be pushing for. I, I, I've just gone up today, actually. If you go to www.mobile1thegrid, um, an article about the success of Corvette Racing, 20th anniversary year, of course, uh, this year. And um, Doug Faham was good enough to give me some time. And I've wrote that up. Uh, I've written that up for um, Mobile One The Grid. That's just gone up today. Have a read of that. It's worthwhile. There's plenty more to come out of that interview that I had with Doug. And I, I think what we're going to do is turn that into a long one or a series of long ones, actually, because Doug and I rather got sidetracked and there's quite a bit of other stuff there. And there was a bit of storytelling going on from Doug, which is always worthwhile uh, hearing. And in the context of, of where we are at the moment in this sport, he says some very, very interesting things about going forward and including the next iteration of P1s, um, which is very, very interesting. And we'll get that put together for you. But go to Mobile One, uh, 
uh, mobileonthegrid.com uh, and have a look at that. GTD uh, with 18 entries, the biggest class and possibly the most difficult one to call, Shay. Where were the darts that Tim had us using earlier? Because ah, I yes. think we need those to throw at it and try Bullseye, and pick a car. Yeah. From the test, there was massive discrepancy between some of the cars in terms of people running, trying to break stuff and mm. people actually trying to run quickly. We have the new team. We have CJ Wilson with their Acura. They were Welcome going to out the there. big show, guys. Welcome. They were pushing as hard as they possibly could. Interesting that the Hart Acura was not here this weekend, uh, that weekend. Mm. But then we had cars like the Michael Shank Acuras that were pushing mm. from what people were saying with their stopwatches out. Um, I know that Patrick Lindsay was one of the guys who had the old school two-hand stopwatch going oh, really? on other cars. Oh, he was on the box. Because there was no official timing. Exactly. Mm. And he and Jurg had an agreement for the test, uh, both of them driving the 73 Park Place Porsche. When one of them got tired, the other one would take over. Jurg had just come from Porsche Fitness Camp, so I think he drove about nine hours straight. He, he didn't want to get out of the car. So Patrick was doing a lot of timing on other cars, and he was able to see who was running really quickly and who wasn't. More cars were trying to see what was going to fail on theirs, but there were a few that were very evidently pushing as hard as they possibly could. Well, I just hope we're going to see a very close race. I mean, the, one of the best things about GTD, GT3 in, in European money, um, is the variety. And mm. what you don't want to see is dominance. What you want to see is... Uh, is these guys really getting stuck into each other? I, I'm actually making it tough for the for the prototypes to come by as well. That's, well, a, that's think, a key yeah. part of actually what the appeal of this race. That's very interesting you should say that, Graham, because one of the things that I was talking to earlier on today at Marion's, the centre of any motorsport paddock, just stay there long enough and eventually everyone will come to you and you can be eating and drinking at the same time. It's perfect. And watching old races. And watching old races, yes, and that's exactly what I was doing. Actually, the lobster beast today was a fantastic little drop of sriracha on the top of it. Um, the um, I have a sneaking... Well, first of all, yes, I agree with you. And talking to some of the GT Daytona drivers, they said, you know, here is one of those places where they can put the car in a certain place in the track and the prototype guys get the idea pretty quickly that you're not going to let them buy. And if you're in a train of three, four, five GTDs, yeah. which is entirely possible, that then you have to do that or you lose so much ground to the guys that it takes you another two, three laps to get back to. I've got a sneaking suspicion that the Lexus are going to do you know well what? here. You see, you, I, I went down and had a quick look at the Lexus. And I, can't, I, I, I can't really tell you why. I, no, I know what you mean. I mean, I'd look at it. I think it's, for one thing, the 15 car, different colour this weekend. Uh, yeah. A fantastic metallic red, the 15 car. It's very, very uh, it, presentable. It indeed. does indeed. Um, I'd like to see a bit of different for this one. Um, this is a big race, but I think sometimes we forget how big a race in global terms this is. It, it is a big, big race, and wouldn't it be great to see some different winners of this race just to help them to carry forward programs that just do need that bit of a leg up, uh, just do need that little bit of you know turbocharging. And yeah, the Lexus effort, it's been showing some real pace. They've not had the best of luck. Uh, some of that has been self-inflicted at times, but they've not had the best of luck. And... The cars look and sound glorious. Uh, the other people share that I think I think all of the Porsches will do well in GT Daytona. I uh, hope so. Uh, and for me, a toss-up here as to who will be top Porsche and therefore who's probably going to be on the podium between Park Place, Patrick Lindsay, Jörg Bergmeister and Tim Pappas. 
Uh, and Wright Motorsports, I think Wright Motorsports have got a really good chance here. Both of the Porsches, well, all of the Porsches in GTD did not do well at Daytona, but both of the ones that you just mentioned, man, do they have redemption on their minds. You think mm. about Wright going out before we even got to the, the green flag at Daytona with that instance. They dropped down 60-plus laps, fought back the entire time. They've got something to prove here, but the car that I've just got that sneaking feeling about, not the Lexus, the 48 Paul Miller Racing Lamborghini because they were the first Lamborghini team to get a win here in the U.S. Change got a win last year. Obviously, we've had GRT win at Daytona this year. They really want to prove that they are still the best Lamborghini team here. I've not bumped in yet to Christina Nilsson, but I'm guessing that her her drive will be of Amazonian yeah. and of uh, epic quantities here. She was uh, very emotional before mm. they finally got the uh, the car going at Daytona after that. Some fortunate shunts at the bus stop um, for, for the car, but uh, they're, they're going to be on fire here. They, yeah. they are really, really going to be looking for a very big result indeed to get their, ser their, their uh, season back on track. And that's key because they will be looking at series. You know, um, it's it's a th it would be a third in a row for Christina. It would. And, Huge and she's result, absolutely that would be. got her eyes on that in, uh, and particularly in the last few weeks when women in motorsport, we've had International Women's Day, women in motorsports have been in, in very close relief, um, both in positive and negative terms. Yep. Let, let's be honest about that. And I've had my say, about what people have said about Carmen Jordan. And I, I would say again, go and read what she actually said before you, you make any decision about what was happening because that, that headline was still a bit misleading for my money. But, you know, Christina is a massive standard bearer and a, a fly in the flag because all she wants to do is be judged as a driver. Yes. Yeah. And that's exactly right. That's what every human wants is to be judged as the best human, not the best woman, the best man, the best puppy. You know, mm -hmm. you just want to be the best period christina won this race in 2016 in gtd pat longs won it twice there are two co-drivers matthew Jeminet and robert renner are rookies to the race so that's the big question mark Ren how quickly can they get up to speed they drove a lot yes. during the test um Jeminet never raced here before no no he started a uh, circuit of the americas last year yeah, got a did. pole in his first ever start and then did belle isle those but are his only two but quick i mean we, we've seen run race in the creventnik races yeah. uh, with the herbeth 911 the prequel yeah. car uh, i've i've tried to follow him and you can't he's that quick that that, that, that <laughs> is good he's that a, is a that is a name that we're going to be talking about for as long as you and i keep doing this john mm -hmm. because he is going to be we don't win the the global porsche cup for no for private drivers no. without being very very good indeed the likes of him here of uh, Germinet and Caroli uh, they are going to be the standard bearers when the likes of Jörg Bergmeister and for that matter Pat Long are in their dotage they're the ones who are going to be the, the if you like the ambassadors within the team coaching those guys through they are where this is going for Porsche uh, we're beginning to get to that stage where the, the batons are beginning to be handed over aren't they no shush <laughs> Well, if, uh, don't tell Pat and uh, Jörg that. because or they're yeah, not yet. Or Timo. Not yet. Well, Timo's back driving with his own team again. Exactly. Team 75. He's 103 now. No, he's 75. That's why it was called 75. <laughs> he, he's actually 75 years old. It's not because he was born in 1975. No, it's because no, he was no. 75 when he he, um, uh, he he formed the team. Um, very So that's all this weekend over on uh, IMSA Radio RS2. Um, every session covered live and free and qualifying and the whole, well, qualifying for everybody, sound and vision, the whole race live, no interruptions. Only commentary team that's trackside is 
here from IMSA Radio. Uh, and if you're outside the US, you'll be able to pick that up. Uh, don't forget, we've also got the Continental Race. Again, that's live for everybody. Uh, and if you're not listening online and you want to move about, if you're here in the States, XM Sirius, I think we said it was 206. Um, it is actually in the... Um, I should have picked up the right piece of paper. Anyway, we'll, we'll tweet it out so you'll get it. So you can, there's millions of ways to follow us. Asterisk, slight exaggeration. Just want to have a quick word, Graham, with you. And I, I'll preface this by saying you weren't at Silverstone last weekend. You were too cold. Somewhere far warmer. Well done. Um, the shed. The Creventic series. Uh, first of all, congratulations to uh, Jordan's Red Camel for winning the 24. Well done to Janetta with the... Um, there was a, some discussion about whether it was a G57 or a G58. I think it ended up being a G57 because it had the origin, the, the the GM engine in rather than the... Right, got, that, that's the defining thing. It's a 6.2 litre GM engine or a 6.3 litre Ginetta engine. I think it was the former in that Ginetta said it was a 58, uh, but you know what? What's, what's point one? Ginetta won. Yeah, among friends. Of course, they were. Uh, Ginetta won. Ginetta won, but a great drive from Stewie Hall, particularly from Stewie in bad conditions to get a lap back. And Rule did a brilliant job. Everybody did a brilliant job. Rothko win the GT class. It wasn't how that meant to be the whole weekend, but Creventic, working with Silverstone and the infrastructure, managed to put on a race that actually, with five hours and then seven hours right at the beginning of the 24, I actually thought it worked pretty well and proved once again that there's more than one way to eat an oyster. You know, they, they did yeah, yeah. a really good job. Look, but one of the things that you and I, and I know a lot of the listeners, have, have always liked about the Creantic side of things is that they they do do things differently. They're not afraid of actually picking up uh, examples from elsewhere in motorsport and applying them and applying them well. And that's always been something that's been, I think, something really to admire about their product. They've always been focused on their customers. The guys are actually out there paying for that racing, and that's another thing to admire. Mm. I think the that, last that sometimes is a, is a detriment to them, and I will say yeah, that yeah, because they've listened to people about a Pro Tour series, and that really hasn't taken off it, because it, a no. lot of the people who promised cars haven't turned up. I think, yeah, absolutely. I think that that caught out a number of series. The LMP3 Cup in the UK, for instance, had far lower car counts than being predicted. We had another couple of places where small prototype championships in France and in Italy, for instance, just simply didn't happen, and that's something they've got to work through. We are, by the way, uh, seeing great numbers here for the prototype challenge yes. uh, and, and some good variety kind of emerging too with a couple of Normas and the Ave Riley still out here although I don't think we saw the Ginetta out practicing today I'm not sure whether or not that's that's turned out for, for uh, Sebring but they had a really tricky year last year went and had a good long hard think about it mm. uh, made some pretty key changes in terms of the way the regulations are going to operate I don't think they're actually out the woods completely yet I think they know that but there were definite signs of recovery over the weekend in terms of the not just the car count, but the kind of the co- composition of that car count. Mm. Uh, but I guess, you know, I think you'd find that Creventic's guys would, would actually say, if challenged on it, yeah, we learned some lessons there. We learned not to get too far ahead of ourselves because there were times last season when what had looked absolutely brilliant in terms of the, the racing and the numbers, looked less than convincing. And they weren't happy with it. I think neither were their competitors, but they did the right thing. They went away. They had a good hard think. They decided which bits of the 
uh, of the debate they were going to take forward and which bits they were going to reject, and they've delivered on that. So let's let's see what happens as we move forward. Navarra next, a brand new uh, venue. Looking forward to heading over there for that, and that's all live, of course, on RS1. Tim Greer is uh, still listening in, our executive producer, over and up in London, and wants to take us in a different direction for the last few minutes of the programme. What do you have, uh, Tim? A couple of little things. Rotation on Twitter has said... Uh Favourite game show was Timo Glockbusters. Forgotten about that one. And uh, just to prove we are live, it's nil-nil in the second half, but there has been a red card uh, just before half-time. Excellent. Uh, Excellent stuff. Always like that. Um, The news that no one is talking about. The stories that aren't reported anywhere else. And for valid editorial reasons. Pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport. Just before before you start that, Tim, um, we haven't heard much from Mark and Emma uh, this evening. Have they had a falling out? Uh, They did the still to come. Yeah, okay, fine. Mark and Emma are our voiceover artists too. Turn mm-hmm. them every week. I think he's hiding something there. I think I, I, we'll have to keep an eye on this in the coming weeks. Uh, where would you like to go with this press release? Give us the headline well, Before first of we all. go into the press release, I've got a question for all of you. Because um, there are some racing drivers who are so famous 42. that you can refer to them just by their surname and everyone knows who you're talking about. Like Fangio. Hindoff. Or or their Christian name. Or their Christian name. Just one name. name. You know, Mario. Mario, yeah. Juan Pablo. Mm, Juan Pablo. That's two names. Yeah, yeah. It's still his first name. Nigel probably not. Maybe just me. Yeah. There are two of those. Okay. But in terms of people who who just by their surname, you you can recognise who people are talking about. Um, There are very few of them, you would think. And they're all people who've been champions at the very highest level, yes? Okay. Yeah, we're agreeing. Yes. Good. Yeah, we're you're, agreeing you're with you're that. You're agreeing very silently. It's about people only having one name then, like footballers with just a name. This no, is it's all right. This, this is takes a while this, to get this to This you. is a, about someone who does have two names, but in the first four Good. paragraphs of this press release... His Christian name is not mentioned once. Hmm. In 2017... Is he a, fa- is he a famous champion who will recognise immediately? In 2017, 15-year-old 50, Taufik, was, who was in his first season nope. in senior karting, had the most consistent campaign over the five-round championship, finishing no. the top five in four finals no. to win the title. Stop. Stop, stop, stop. Mm. I don't know where you get these from and how many <laughs> oh, God. Oh, boy. S- s- lists you're on. But whoever wrote that, that I agree entirely. Yeah. Uh, they, they've lost everybody already. I, I think my spam filters, spam filtered that into a filter that we haven't even got. It's mm. no, that's terrible. <laughs> I'd, I'd also point Shame out that I've that one. Shame. live sub-edited that because it actually says who was is in his first... Season, having two oh, different geez. tense verbs uh, next <sighs> to each other. 
Uh, the 15-year-old made his single-seater debut oh last month in the Formula oh 4 UAE round at Dubai Autodrome, claiming second and fourth. What, in the same race? <laughs> that is very impressive. <laughs> he, yeah. he's, he's a name to remember. In the opening round, he was second and fourth. That's it. fantastic. Yeah. He joins Oscar Piastri. How is it spelled, Tim? T-A-O-U-F-I-K. The kind of hand you really don't want to get in Scrabble. It's, yeah. it's actually pronounced Smith. <laughs> <laughs> he joins Oscar Piastri and uh, Alex Vartanian, both already confirmed with Arden for the coming season. Vartanian? Ben, ben Salter, the Arden Motorsport Formula Arden Renault one. team manager, said, With the announcement of Sammy, I'm pleased to confirm our three car lineup for our second year in Euro Cup. Who's Sammy? Ah. This is the first time we've heard this guy's Christian name, and it's in so the somebody else in paragraph five. And they haven't put it together with these. And they haven't put it together with his surname. No. Maybe so, Sammy's somebody else. Maybe they're announcing two drivers on. at once. Hang on a minute. Hang but on they'd minute. already announced two that? drivers, Shay, and they Double said it was a three-car no, team. It's that high. It's the high-pitched whirring of Henry Hope Frost spinning in his grave. Yeah, it afraid. is absolutely. God bless you, Henry. Yeah, uh, did a lot of sub edit, and that wouldn't have got past HHM. <laughs> no, 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 no. Wouldn't have got onto the desk in the first place. No. Or awful. Sammy made Less a strong impression favor. during his winter <laughs> test Less program. Than favour. Uh, especially considering Neither. the fact that he had never driven a Euro Cup car bef- before, car before. Car before, car, car before. before. Sammy definitely yeah, has a lot of talent. I'd like to watch him this press release. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> and that's all we have time for tonight. Uh, thank you to Nick. No, mm. or, or was was up until about five minutes yeah. ago. Uh, thank you to Nick Damon and Tim Gray for joining us from the UK. Great pleasure to have Jeremy Shaw talking IndyCar. There'll be more of that in the next few weeks. And uh, thanks to Louis Satterley who's still here, actually listening in and. and taking all this in doesn't often get the chance to see midweek motorsport happening live so thanks for your insight uh, as well reminder uh, Graham Goodwin and Shea Adams being part of this as well as me John Hindoff the responsible adult uh, Eve Hewitt Diana Binks has been here as well but she's been very quiet uncharacteristically quiet because no one's fed her no bubble hat yeah that's the thing no bubble hat um uh, thank you very much for listening. We will have uh, the the most comprehensive coverage of the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring presented by Advanced Auto Parts as well as the other races. And Shea, we've got Prototype Challenge mm-hmm. and IMSA Porsche GT3 Cup presented by Yokohama this weekend. And the Canadian version as well. Yeah, nine cars in that. Uh, more than that. Nine cars of the Canadians. Yeah. Yes, in a 36-car field, I think, from, from memory. 35. Uh, watching, that, uh, under, uh, watching that on the screen, so you're on. Uh, 35, sorry. Thank you, Tim. Uh, so that's all on RS2 at IMSA Radio. We're back next week on RS1 with Midweek Motorsport, and then I'm off to Seattle for that Forza uh, IMSA Challenge. So keep your eyes and ears open because we're doing a lot of Twitterage from that, and there will be live coverage of that, not this Saturday, that's the 12 hours of Sebring, but the Saturday following. We'll remind you about that uh, next week. Join us on IMSA Radio RS2 for our coverage from Florida, but from me and the rest of the team, there's no time F1 to explain next. because the llama is off designing shirts. Oh. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.